Hello and welcome to the AFA podcast, the official podcast for animationforadults.com. Um, my name is Rachel and I am joined by co-hosts uh, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How about you? Good. Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Busy week? Yeah, it's felt like three weeks in, <laughs> in one week, but um, I've recovered. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, and also, we have joining us today, he's finally feeling better, Chris. Hello. Hello, Rachel. Hey. Your voice sounds a lot better than it did last time I talked with you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm definitely getting there. I'm not 100%, so we'll see how this goes. But Yeah, hey, take I'm it here. easy. Yeah. You sound fine. Good. Good. You sound a lot better, so that means you're better. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, know that's like, I know that's like the most annoying thing to be told, but... Uh, I had that problem last week. I thought I had like a cold, and I was like, I thought I sounded like you know really cartoony, like Dad, sorry, I can't talk. You know, like <laughs> really bunged up. You didn't sound but... that way from when I was spo- when I spoke with you. So no, it turns out I kind of didn't. And uh, yeah, you 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 sound fine, Chris. Thank you. Uh, I just want to put on the record that you did an awesome job last week. Well done, Rachel. Brilliant job on the hosting. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I uh hopefully we can like switch keep switching between episodes whenever when you're feeling better. Yeah. It'll yep. make things interesting. Um and Yvonne, dear Yvonne, wanted to join us this week, but unfortunately she's been having a lot of uh new responsibilities in regards to animation nights for New York and uh we want to wish her well and best of luck with everything that's going on with the uh, with the Annie. And uh a couple things we actually she wanted to inform everyone who's anyone who's interested about uh, animation nights in new york is that's actually pretty big news um they're going to be uh on january 13th 2016 there's going to be a new year's picks which is basically a animation screening and networking event which is going to be featuring uh short films from all around the world if you're you're animator and you're looking for some you know to meet new people and just uh see different types of work this is a great opportunity to uh get some exposure and you know connect with people in the industry. And also, pretty big deal is that the uh, Animation Nights New York is going to be uh, included in the Out to Sea Festival. And uh, they're going to be included with all the various um, artists and filmmakers and so they're going to be get to present their stuff um, as part of that. And uh, I believe there's also important information if you're going to be looking to go to Animation Nights New York this um this upcoming month they're actually uh, changed locations they're going to be at uh 192 front street new york um and i believe it says they said they're going to be there for the next few months and and admission is still free so if anyone wants to go and check out animation nights you don't have to worry about paying for anything just go watch some awesome shorts and have a great time there's also food provided. She, Yvonne wanted to make sure you, you know that they, that they they provide food and yeah, food and well, beverages. Well, if you go, definitely buy a drink at the bar. <laughs> you could do if it's all free. That's amazing. Yeah, it it sounds like a great time. I know I've been meaning to get out there since I'm all, I'm not so close to New York, but I'm close enough that I could at least make like a weekend trip out of it. So I I intend to do that sometime this year. Hey. Hopefully in time for all this new and awesome stuff that Yvonne and her talented team is putting together. So, Yes, awesome. <laughs> all right, moving right along. Uh, there's been quite a few things happening in the animation world this week. 
Um, but one of the in, part, part of today's episode is going to be featuring um, as our little nod to Miyazaki-san, who just had his birthday this week. It was uh, January 5th, right? Yeah. Happy birthday, Miyazaki! You're not listening, but... Tanjobi! Tanjobi gozaimasu! And... I, I took a little Japanese in college, wow. so... Wow. I probably mispronounced... I probably... I most definitely mispronounced something, so forgive me. I don't mean to insult anybody. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so in, in light of that, we're planning on... Once we get through all the news and everything, we're going to see if we can talk about, you know, the movies that we've seen uh, Miyazaki release over the years and uh, even some stuff, you know, before he became like a big, uh, big animation director and just, you know, celebrate his the career and the wonderful work he's brought us. So I'm excited for that because <laughs> that's one of the main reasons I one of the main pulls in animation was, you know, watching Miyazaki movies, at least in Japanese animation. Yeah, definitely. He's the master. <laughs> one of one of the many masters. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, we'll just really quickly go uh, through some of the various news topics that have also come out this week. And uh, one of the big ones is uh, DreamWorks Animation has uh, made a new deal with Netflix in terms of releasing the, um, entertainment, where various entertainment, like um, we've you know this past year we've had. Um, Race to the Edge with the How to Train Your Dragon and a bunch of other different ones. But uh, one of the new things that they negotiated with Netflix is to basically have it so their shows are released worldwide, sans China, of course. Um, and also a couple interesting uh, bits of news where they suggested they were going to be having uh, releasing on Netflix, you know, their stuff from their own animation studio and also a couple classic IPs. Um, one of which is a Voltron show, if Ooh. I'm not mistaken. Yes, I believe so. That, I have to admit, I would never have saw coming from DreamWorks. I mean, Hang on, you mean they're making a new one? Yeah. What? I know, I'm, I'm a bit like, whoa, okay, DreamWorks, I um, didn't realize that was the direction you wanted to go, but okay. <laughs> They, 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 it was an American CG Voltron a few years ago. Right? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. and I wanted to like it, but yeah. I couldn't. No, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it exists. Yeah, it definitely exists. I mean, not that the original Voltron was a masterpiece, to be honest. <laughs> to be honest with you, it was. I mean, I have the first DVD box set of the of the show, and even oh. rewatching it years later, I'm like listening to the dialogue and the animation of how it was all slammed together. It's like, wow, this is really not as awesome as I may have remembered it to be, but it's still <laughs> it's still just wonderful like wonderfully nostalgic and just it's so easy to laugh at all the about the poorly written dialogue. <laughs> yeah, DreamWorks bought some company called like Classic Media who own the rights to load the, like they've got like Casper and and th- things like that. Like he mm-hmm. and like a bunch of stuff like He Man and stuff. Oh yeah. And, um, so far, all that's come out of it really. Uh, Peabody and Chairman, I think, was one of that's how they got the rights to that, you know. And they did the film of that, and then they've done the TV series. But this is the first sort of that sort of eighties thing that. Yeah, done. like really classic show that they're trying to like remake for a new audience. Yeah. It- 
Um, I'm not holding my breath, but I'm if, if they do something different with it, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it. Let's just put it that way. Um, and one other show that was mentioned, I believe, was um, a show called uh, Troll Hunters that might be coming out this year uh, by a DreamWorks. And I believe there was a certain name included with that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, cert- uh, one, Guillermo, I, I can't pronounce his name. I'm sorry. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> was involved. We don't, we're not exactly sure what he's doing in regards to this show, but... He's his name is definitely attached, and um, I believe the premise was it's an idea of these two kids who uh, find out you know find that there's like a underground world or they you know where all like these monsters live. I think was that was that with a synopsis? Yeah, pretty much. And this this is more like it. <laughs> I, I, I've been waiting for this dream, for DreamWorks TV thing. To be honest, I've been waiting for them to do something great because <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't I, what i've seen of it so far it's been yeah. most, mostly like the spin-offs of their tv series and they're just they just feel like they're kids shows and they're fine for kids shows but you know their movies are often more than that so yeah yeah the, the the shows normally pale in comparison to what they attempt to do in the actual films like i know my opinion with the uh the kung fu panda show that they have mm-hmm. i mean I absolutely adore the Kung Fu Panda movies. I'm stoked for number three, which is soon to come out in the States. But I've tried to get into that show. And sometimes it does have a you know a few genuine funny moments. But it really does not expand on the world as much as I hoped it would. Because you, you'd think with a television show that they'd have, be, they'd have ample opportunity to, you know, explore a whole bunch of different things. Like the, you know, even more so than the movies could. But not really. No. Yeah, and I kind of feel the same sort of thing about dragons from what I've seen because mm-hmm. I love those movies so much. <laughs> and the TV series, it's just it's fine. It's a kids show, but it's it's not it's not in the same rate. Not in it's, the same. League. It's passable. It's harmless. It's not pushing any boundaries. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame, but um, you know, it even yeah even. Regards to that, I think that this might be this Troll Hunter show is uh, could be a gateway show into maybe them experimenting with more original material in terms of television. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I mean the thing is, like they're not going to be with the dragons and the Kung Fu Panda movies. Like nothing story wise too interesting can happen because they're basically filler in between the movies, right? Yeah. Whereas if you start from the ground up with a new idea, um, there'll be more room to expand and to do more interesting things than just kind of wheel spin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see, but it's definitely it's definitely promising. I'm going to have to keep my ear to the ground to see if there are any more new developments. Like, we actually find out what Guillermo del Toro's role is going to be in that show. He's a busy boy. Yes, he is. He's got the whole filmmaking career, you know, to juggle with. So it's, I'm surprised. I'm quite surprised that he's. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure. I've, uh, heard of or seen anything like television-wise that he's been involved in. So, to um, me, this is a first. I don't know if you would, if you guys know anything that he's done he, more in terms of television. 
Yeah, he did a vampire show, right? He was Wait, he, he wrote the book. He wrote he co- or he co-wrote the book, The Strain. I don't know how involved he is with the TV series. Mm. It, right. It was, it was a, there's a like a trilogy of books and I read the first one and yeah, it's I don't know that he it's it says it's co at least it's co-created. I don't know if he, you know, he actually wrote any of it. He came up with the help come up with the concepts and everything. Okay. So, he has been involved in that in some, some, some capacity. But okay, so then it would make sense if, it, if it's based off a book, then it would that he would be involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes that makes sense. All right, and the next big story, um, Adult Swim fans may appreciate because uh, one of their big, big shows, The Ventura Brothers, are going to be getting a sixth season. And that is set to release actually this month sometime? Yeah. Like this month or uh, February? 31st. Oh, uh, the 31st. Premiere date, yeah. Yes. I I will admit, I have actually not really seen anything uh, Venture Brothers related. I do know that it was popular and I only have like a like basic understanding of the characters, but I haven't, I've never actually seen a full episode. So what are your guys' thoughts on uh Final and the getting a, a sec, uh, not six, mm-hmm. six season after the, you said the last one was in um, 2013. Yeah, there's big, big old gaps between the seasons, but I, I'm not sure how much I've seen. I've seen some random bits of it. I've seen bits of a couple of the early series, and I, I was very impressed because it's um, it's unlike anything else adults when we're doing at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like had... the big flagship cult show for a while, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before Rick and Morty came along, it was like their 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 gold standard of we don't just do fart jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was like there's there's this one episode that's like does this amazing sort of clone of Fantastic Four, like sixty style. Um, and it's got lots of characters in it like that, and it's got some really amazing uh, characters and villains and stuff like this. This guy called the Monarch, mm-hmm. who, who's a brilliant villain, and he, he's um his girlfriend, who's called Doctor Girlfriend. Who, oh, um, I think I, I now the names are starting to come back. He has a man's yeah. voice. And Doctor Doctor Girlfriend sounds a man's voice. Yep. Yeah. I was wondering because I remember when uh, I saw the article go up on our site. I, I watched the trailer and. It took me a moment to really, like, is that a really a man's voice coming out of that woman's? Like, no, I'm not imagining it. Yes, that's what I'm hearing. And there's um, there's there's a character. I'm pretty sure it's voiced by Patrick Warburton. Mm-hmm. And he's always he's always amazing as as voice actors go. He's like being um, he's like this big. Uh, he's their bodyguard basically. Oh, Brock Sampson. Brock Sampson, that's the one. Yeah. I think he's actually the very first character from uh, Venture Brothers I was actually introduced to because I know mm. this is going to sound incredibly lame, but um, uh, there was this uh, poker game, a video game, <laughs> that had all these like crazy characters um, like Ash from the Evil Dead, uh, Claptrap from uh, Borderlands, and Sam and Max from their various computer games, and Brock Sampson all sitting at a poker table <laughs> where you, you play against them in poker. While you hear humorous quips of them like, and the characters talking with each other, all the while uh, Glados from Portal as the uh, 
the dealer. It was a rather strange, strange game, but I took notice of Brock and how funny he was in that scenario, so I would be more than happy to actually watch him in his act, the actual show he's supposed to come from. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to watch the whole thing basically, but I just haven't had the opportunity yet. Um, um, it's good. There's a new season coming, and I'm pretty sure I heard Nathan Fillion doing the voice in that trailer. No, oh my god! Now I have to go back and listen to it again because I wasn't listening before, and I didn't I didn't recognize his voice. And normally, when he's in a role, I can normally recognize his voice. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it is him, but I might be wrong. I'll, I'll have to. Look it up. He's got like a role as like a strange superhero type character. Oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> oh gosh, that 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 just made my day. <laughs> I love Nathan Fillion. Who doesn't? <laughs> He's so funny. It's like once I watch uh, both Firefly after Firefly, I can never go back. <laughs> um. Okay, and. Uh, Next order of business is, oh, um, for Gravity Falls creator, I make sure I pronounce his name right, um, Alex Hirsch. Yep. Alex uh. Hirsch. Um, there is some talk going around of, you know, once now it's become official that Gravity Falls, you know, will be ending with this last episode coming up in February. Um, there's some uh, talk going about of uh, him making a deal with uh, Fox about developing an animated project for them once Gravity Falls has run its course. So um, there's no word on exactly what the project is called or what it could be about, but given, you know, Fox's lineup of uh, animated shows, animated comedy shows in particular, and knowing, you know, Alex Hirsch's style with, you know, what he, what he did with Gravity Falls, it does seem like a very interesting match. Do you know what I hope? What? I hope it's not a family sitcom. Well, Even if it is, which it might well be. <laughs> um, no more family sitcoms, please. <laughs> no, I know, I know what you're saying. I think the one thing that I would like, it would be interesting for him to try and persuade them to do, is to do what he did with Gravity Falls in terms yeah, of... Yeah, make like, like an adventure mystery series. Yeah. Well, in terms of just having a story continue... Mm-hmm. Because that's one thing that all of the animated sitcoms on Fox don't do. Mm-hmm. Is they are all classic sitcom reset buttons things. <laughs> and if you can persuade Fox to do that with the animated sitcom, that would be a really big step. Because... Yeah, it would be a big twist on the status quo. Because people are used to watching TV now in in that way of like you know box setting things and accepting the fact that you got to watch things from the beginning and if you can do that with animation then it will be a big and if anyone can do it then he can. Yeah, I mean, Gravity Gravity Falls is proof positive of that because you know there are so many various clues and hints about you know the sure. later evolving plot that you know it's it makes sense to go back and look for those clues and then once you once you see them and see how they you know eventually lead to a revelation that's you know that's huge and it's one of the things that made it that set it was the reason that set it apart from other uh animated shows at least on disney channel but kids are also like quite open-minded i think and it would 
I think, you know, like something as out there as Gravity Falls would be a tougher sell on adults almost because it doesn't look like many other things. It doesn't feel like many other things. Um, you say that, but then most of Gravity Falls' audience is actually more older adolescents than younger, you know, preteens right. and kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, 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 I mean like young people is that. But what I'm saying is he's speaking to Fox and they deal pretty much like in that prime time slot mm-hmm. where they're going to be going for a different demographic. It's hard to say. I mean, I mean, I it, could, it, yeah, it, the very little information is out about this, but I think it would be interesting if he was trying to, you know, um, develop something for an old audience. We yeah. Don't, we don't know, I don't think 100% that it's definitely Fox. It's, it's with Fox, as in the company. Mm-hmm. I want to see what you're saying. So it could, there's a chance, I would say it's probably unlikely, but it, it could be on FX. They're, yeah. FXX. Yes. Yeah. It could be like the, it could be a part of the animation domination oh. high def thing, but. Do you know what? That makes sense because, um, uh, that thing that, and all the names in the world have just disappeared from my head. Um, <laughs> Archer Dude was creating for FX. Yeah, it's been cancelled. Been cancelled. Um, and in the press release, they said that it was going to be um, uh, replaced by two shows. Oh, is that right? Oh wait, oh hang on, because they've got yeah, FXX have got Archer. Mm-hmm. And they, but they, but they said that the cancellation of that show um, about the the post-apocalyptic thing mm. was going to be... It was just going to be replaced by two shows. Rather than... Ah. Okay. So maybe, yeah, maybe one of those is the Alex Hirsch thing. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a possibility. I, I, I think the reason that this was news at all was just Fox, like, you know... Um, Planting their flag in the ground in front of the rest of Hollywood, saying, "This is our boy now." Yeah, basically, it's like we saw how successful he was with like, Disney and yeah, what like, he did with Gravity Falls. It's like, okay, they... now he's our, now he's on our side now. Until we cancel it. <laughs> but you know, we're Fox. That's what we do. Uh, I yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool because, like I said last year, um. It seems like off Gravity Falls, people are excited in him more than his idea, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is a good place to be, right? If you're a a writer or creator in in Hollywood, yeah, yeah. No, it's I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, it's like I mean, I'm, I like to think that maybe his success with Gravity Falls might have uh, might give him enough leverage that you know. If he has any creative, you know, input for what's going to be happening with this show, that maybe that maybe the Fox will give him some leeway. But yeah, it's again, it's a wait and see. We don't even know what he's doing yet, so we'll just have to keep waiting and see when the next uh, bit of information will be released. Awesome. So moving along, um, 
Funimation, which has uh, been one of the prim- primary distributors of, uh, you know, anime, Japanese anime in the uh, U.S., and I think they've even dabbled uh, releasing stuff in the U.K. also, haven't they? Not directly. Oh, yeah, they're not, um, what was it, the main distributor in, in U.K. is uh, Manga? We've been at the mercy of their edits and things like that, right? Ah. Yeah, yeah, well, we, <laughs> there's, the, this part of the um, thing is that Funimation have, they're one of the few American companies that have never, um, never, like, tried to directly launch in the UK. So they've always, um, but I think when they get the rights to things, they normally get them for the, you know, all the English-speaking world or whatever, Mm-hmm. And they sub-license it to local companies, um, and they've moved like between companies which they which they worked with before. And up until recently, they were working with Manga. Oh, okay. Uh, apparently, the spokesman for Manga basically said that um, he didn't think that they were going to be working with Funimation anymore. Oh and, dear. Um, and uh, they like they don't have fairy tale anymore apparently for example Aww. um so they but they they've still got the rights to dragon ball and um one piece because they got them directly through toei so. yeah yeah okay well in terms of uh funimation as a as a group then one of the things that they've been um they've been trying to improve or what they've been promising that they'd be improving is uh online streaming for their various uh series that they have licensed to but they haven't really seemed to have been uh, competing very well against other stream uh, mainstream c- streaming sites like uh, Crunchyroll, for example. But um, this year, they hope to change all that with a little uh, something called uh, Funimation Now, which is hopefully going to expand um, how many people can access their library of streaming, you know, of shows that they can stream. And uh, I believe, uh, you know, the different apps like for the Android, Kindle, I- iOS, uh, Windows 8, and um, they're hoping to make it available to both the U.S. and the U.K. Yay. And that should be, they said they should have that up in uh, around February. They did not, I don't think they gave a specific date as when in February. But um, that is that is good to see that they're trying to expand the ac- um, access to their their stuff. Because I know I've always been looking to, you know, look at shows, uh, dub versions of uh, the shows that they have licensed you know, online, since I obviously don't, can't own that many D- DVDs, <laughs> or can't go shopping for that many DVDs, but, um, you know, I still want to see what they, you know, their takes on different shows are, but I've tried getting on their website before in order to, you know, stream anime episodes, and it's been, it's, I've, I've struggled quite a few times, so to the point where I just didn't bother anymore. Yeah, a lot of people complained about their, um, their previous streaming site, um, I know they've been trying to work on it, but they haven't. They've been lagging behind, as you say, Crunchyroll and mm-hmm. other companies. So yeah, I don't think it's really been at least not up until now. It hasn't really been a major priority for them. It's probably been like an idea on the back burner. But they have, you know, with every everything else that they've been doing recently, like the promotion for the Dragon Ball movies recently, and all of the, and all the other various licensing uh, mainstream sh- uh, anime shows that are, you know really caught on in the past couple of years you know that's that's a lot that's a lot a lot to have on their plate so i'm it's good that they're finally getting to it but i'm not surprised it took them a while it's interesting they're coming to the uk as well because like i said they haven't 
they haven't tried to break break the UK before. And as far as I can tell, they've been pretty much sitting on rights for things mm-hmm. where they get the right, you know, they get the because um, Japanese companies mainly want to sell global streaming rights outside Japan or whatever. Yeah. And, and Funimation have always been, yeah, but we only want America. <laughs> so they've been basically sitting on rights and pe- people in the UK haven't been able to access them. Yeah. But it will be... One thing that's certain is it's not going to be the exact same library as in the US. And I know what people are like. They, people are already complaining. Oh, really? Like, uh, give, could you give me an example? Well, every, just generally people are complaining because Funimation are big, so there's always lots of people who hate them. You know, it's, yeah. it's the same. It's the same as there's loads of people in the UK who are like, oh, I hate manga. They ruin everything. Everything they do, they ruin. And it's, it's the same in America with Funimation. Ah. And, and um, so some people just hate the company anyway. And also, I know because of like UK companies have got the rights to stream other certain shows, it will mean that the library will be less in the UK. Ah. And so then people in the UK will be like, oh, well, no, it's not as good as in America, it's rubbish. Um, but, yeah. like, it's, it's not going to have Dragon Ball and it's not going to have One Piece on because their own, their rights are with someone else. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. Hmm. That's a do, do, shame. Do, do, they're with manga, right? Yeah, but I don't think, I don't think anyone... Does manga have any plans to, like, stream their stuff? Because they're still... It seems like they're still like stuck with the whole because they're quite a small company still, right? Yeah, and they 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 seem to like get stuck with the whole thing of like they don't release certain things on Blu-ray because it wouldn't be worth them printing them. Yeah, they're they're pretty small, really, and yeah. they most of the time they've been owned by different companies, and up until recently they're owned by Stars. Um, oh, right. But they're now independent. Um, the they've been bought out. They, like someone who worked, you know, basically ran the company for years. He's bought out it from Stars, so it, they're independent. Uh, but there's only a few, only, only a few people there really. And um, the people who ran the company for ages last year, they left and started their own company because they were having all this trouble with Stars being rubbish and making everything hard for them. And they formed a company called Animatsu. And Mangas sort of didn't know what to do. And now the independent, they basically brought them back in and the two companies have merged. So mm. there's been, been oh, lots really? of beh- lot, lot of behind the scenes shenanigans and stuff. But they are, yeah, they're, they're a pretty small operation, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're still, they're still growing, as it were. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, maybe at some point they'll be able to, you know, expand their library a bit more in terms of, you know, streaming, so that way you guys can have uh, more access to various shows that you haven't had access to before. Because really, I mean, that's one of the things that really gets on my, you know, my nerves is the fact that, you know, there are all these wonderful series that are, you know, that I feel like should be experienced, but only because, you know, the various rights jumping around that makes it really difficult for for them to be seen worldwide, mm-hmm. which is a real shame. It seems to be slowly getting better. I mean, I, like, I was most into anime when I was, like, 16, 17, 18. And around that age, 
like around that time, it was really, really hard. And like mm-hmm. nothing was being picked up or it would take forever for things to be picked up. Um, it seems to be getting a lot better. Um, yeah, like from, from the point, from, um, because it, it seems to all really be down to what do the Japanese companies want? The yeah, ones well, in charge it's their, it's like their program, so. Mm-hmm. And it seems they're sort of loosening their grip, their iron. Yeah, they, oh, they're ironclad to work with. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. Well, think they, they really they think about it, the more they relax a little bit about what they what they decide to share, the more money they're making. They'll get they're gonna make because, my gosh, like the the way the anime culture just kind of caught fire at least in the U.S. As far as I understand it, you know, like I go to conventions like Otakon in Baltimore, and it gets mm-hmm. bigger every single year. Yeah, this is becoming I mean, the, more of a thing, so they're they're the, bound to make more and more money. They're not just on the DVDs themselves, but merchandising, you know, what have you. Yeah, you think you think the Japanese companies are getting it more because they do things like, oh no, wait, we're gonna, we know the Dragon Ball Z is gonna be huge in America, so we're gonna premiere it there. We're gonna we're gonna premiere the Attack on Titan movie. You know, seems like they're getting it. Yeah, it's like they, they, yeah, they are. And then they go, no, no, you don't need Dragon Ball Super. No, you don't need that. I like, really, really wish I we knew exactly what was the reasoning behind that. But uh, it really, at this point, it's there's no use dwelling on it because we've we've already talked about our confusion in terms of like, okay, they were they premiered they premiered the Dragon Ball Z movie in the U.S. first because they knew it'd be more popular here. What the hell? Why the hell are they dragging their feet on the new show? Speaking of Dragon Ball Z... I know! I'm just... I'm turning green with envy as I'm about to read off this this next bit of news, guys, because um, Dragon Ball Z Resurrection of F um, is going to be re-released in the UK uh, sometime, like, believe, around January 20th in 3D. That's a whole extra D. I know! I am so jealous right now. All, all of these. Yeah. <laughs> all the Dragon Balls and the 3Ds and the... Yeah. <laughs> so what are your what are your thoughts on the fact I mean I know it did like I'll even though uh they had to they extend the uh the initial release in the UK because it made a lot of money when it got when it finally got released in the UK and uh so what are your ideas as why they're, they're going for a re-release in 3D just in the UK? <laughs> uh, well, it's just like a week before it comes out and finally comes out on Blu-ray and DVD. Oh, uh, okay. So, or a few days before that. So it's like an extra promotional thing. And I, I think also Manga has said it's kind of like a thank you to the fans for supporting the release and making it as big as it was. Um, I don't know how they've managed to get the 3D print, you know, when Funimation yeah, cause apparently I, didn't have it. Yeah, Funimation didn't have it, and I believe it was only, yeah, between the only other, you know, group of the guy was when it premiered in Japan. So, that's kind of big. I, I wonder what that's going to be like, though. It's like 3D, 2D animation. I know Disney, like, re-released um, Lion King in 3D and stuff like that, but I've never, I haven't seen any... 2D animation in 3D. It's it it's gonna be 
difficult to say because I mean I'm trying to picture you know very you know I'm trying to picture the movie in my mind right now and trying to like okay how would that look in 3D because I know certain bits of the animation you know I think would look pretty striking if it was in three dimension you know three dimensions and other bits I'm like eh. I remember that movie that part of the movie being not so great so maybe it might make a particular animation flaw look even worse I don't know it's 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 it, it's a toss up from you know that's what my gut feeling is telling me but I I I want to say that it would be awesome <laughs> because Dragon Ball in three dimensions would be great Basically, no, if it was done big. well. So now a chance to see it on the big screen in the UK anyway. So yeah, that's something. And I, it's, in terms of the fact that it's a that they're doing this as a thank you for the success that they had, that's a pretty nice thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I don't think I don't in terms of like a limited limited release. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that ever happening before. Like like I said, they're a small company, mm-hmm. and you know they've had they've released. They managed to get a few things in cinemas last year, like limited. They got um, Dragon Ball Z and the Attack on Titan live-action movie and Boruto, I think. Yeah, Boruto. Yeah. The, um, the last... So supposedly the last Naruto film, even though the last one was called The Last Naruto Film. <laughs> that was so confusing. But anyways. <laughs> that's that's a story for another time. Uh <laughs> So yeah, you're uh, you're you guys are really lucky. I mean, I I know you probably have both seen it already, so you probably don't have I, a. I haven't. I oh, haven't, you and, haven't, have you? And I don't think it's anywhere near me. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. I think um, it played at the micro like multiplex in like uh, my local like big shopping center mm-hmm. um, in Bristol. But yeah, I. Honestly, I don't know if I'm enough of a fan to like want to spend a tenner on a ticket. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I might I might cash this when I can. I'm not like a huge Dragon Ball Z fan as much That's anymore. Okay. So, I think I'd probably be a bit lost in the movie as well. Yeah, even as a, I'll, I will admit this, even as a fan, I will admit that there's you know Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z is that is very 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 silly in terms of just general plot and uh characters but at the i don't know maybe it's because the fact that i grew up with it that's why i'm still endeared to it to this day but um is yeah if you were ever like wanting to break into like the dragon ball world out of the new movie if you know just wanted to look at the new movies i wouldn't recommend resurrection of f as a as your break-in film battle of gods definitely but yeah i i I think that's one that if you like go go to it like having you know a bit of familiarity with it from years ago and you just go and watch Battle of the Gods. I, I think it's actually a really well done movie. So, oh, go, yeah, I remember that and this and that character. And there's all new things as well. I, I thought it was quite a good sort of throwback. I, I thought it was really good, well, really well done Battle of the Gods, actually. Yeah, so. it was actually, and if you ask my personal opinion, because I've seen most of the Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z based movies that came out over the past couple of years. Um, and. If you ask me, I was, you know, I'm, I'm shocked. I was shocked to hear myself say this after I watched Battle of Gods for the very first time when it was released at theaters. Like, it was, it trounced every other Dragon Ball Z based movie, even even some of the Dragon Ball stuff that had come out beforehand. It was, I was just, my jaw hit the floor. It was, they had, you know, 
good character development, showed how, like, the stories from the show had evolved the characters, and, um, and an actual interesting and complex villain. That never happened before in the Dragon Ball film, as far as I know. <laughs> that broke through ground, so... That's why one of, that's what makes one of the reasons I think that, uh, Resurrection of F was as good as it was is because it does feature those, uh, characters that were introduced in Battle of Gods that were so very entertaining. Yeah, and I think they're in Super as well. Yes, they are. Characters, so. Yes, they are. There's actually supposed to be a whole arc that's supposed to center around them if, uh, what the, if the manga is to be believed. There's. If we ever get the chance to see that. One day, Japan. One day. <laughs> we're all waiting for it. So, alright. Anyways, I'm sorry. I will finish my rant. So we can try and finish up the news. Um, also, really big, importantly, so, uh, that was announced recently, the uh, BAFTA nominations. So I believe the, there are two, the two categories for the BAFTAs in terms of animation are the um, animated Best Animated Feature and the, um, let's see, what else was there? The uh, best, best Animated Short categories. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's been announced as the nominations for uh, Best Animated Feature are Minions. In- <laughs> I know, I know, let me finish. Hold on. We'll, we'll, we'll get that in a minute. Um, Inside Out and Shaun the Sheep. Right. Yeah, so, um... <laughs> well, okay, at least Sean the Sheep's in there, but <laughs> the problem that the BAFTAs has, and um, has really, this year, just embarrasses itself with, is, like, the pandering it does to America, and the the pretty lousy job it does sometimes of giving British talent the recognition it deserves. Yeah. Why was Song of the Sea not nominated? Well, th- w- this what I want to know is: was it eligible last year or this year? It's hard Where, to say. I don't which, know. I, because, because right, I see. I see what you're saying. Oh, actually, sorry. Um, uh, I, yeah, okay. I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Obviously, Song of the Sea is not British talent. No, but no, it's not. As we've as we've clumsily kind of <laughs> found as a compromise. Of this collection of islands that you feel <laughs> culturally connected to, yeah, maybe, maybe not, Dan. But um, yeah, I'm still from surprised. around these parts. It's from the neighbourhood. In in our neighbourhood, let's go with that. In yeah. the neighbourhood, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I'm seriously. Anyway, no, I I understand I understand what you're trying to say, Dan. And, and admittedly, I'm I would wish they would be a bit more, you know. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I I had a word and then I lost it. So maybe I um, should just shouldn't say anything because I, th- I, I have no I right think, to say. I think Chris that it is British release dates, so it well, w- would be this y- year. You watched it in 2004 at London Film Festival. Yeah, no, yeah, that doesn't come into it. I think it, I think it, it, um... I mean, 2014 you watched it, even. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But it was released in the UK 
last summer. So that would make it more eligible for this year's, right? The point is, they bossed up whatever year it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They didn't nominate it. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Because they they in the, what last year it was Lego Movie, um, Lego Movie, which was dragons. Uh, no, I I think it was Big Hero Six and Box Trolls. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, aren't you saying, uh, you've mentioned, I think you mentioned in the article, Chris, that Ardman, uh, Ardman films always seem to, like, always find themselves, uh, in, at least in, make it into the nominations of, for the BAFTAs. Yeah, they, they, every, everyone's a bit proud. Everyone's a bit proud. Hey, they have every they're, right to be. They're, they're and, and fantastic as movies. As I was saying on last week's show, was it last week? Yeah. Um... I know it feels like it was a long time ago, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> um, that basically, uh, Ardman is quite like a, a visible presence, like culturally in the UK. So like everyone's aware that there was a Shaun the Sheep movie. Yeah. And, um, more so than Song of the Sea. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's not like Song of the Sea hasn't gotten any expo, you know, exposure. In award show, you know, in award shows previous. I mean, I know, I know it was it was mentioned at the Oscars last year. Yeah, but then people might say that there are films possibly more deserving than *Minions*. I don't know. I I haven't seen it. To be fair, um, it might be a masterpiece. Um, my my nieces loved it, even though they apparently didn't know it existed huh? before that. <laughs> <laughs> I bought I bought them that for Christmas, and I thought they'd. They'd be very excited, and they opened it, and they were like, I think they were confused. They were like, we've already got this. <laughs> <laughs> they must we've be... Got to, we got, we've got Despicable Me. Very like, culturally like, lucky children. <laughs> well, I... How do you... I mean, the adverts were everywhere. There are adverts yeah. everywhere. There are, like, Haribo... Minion Haribo, like, They've sweets. Got... They're everywhere. You can't avoid them. We've got these. Li- they have got these little minion things from Happy Meals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, think they, we had those too at some know, point. They got about twelve of them, and they were around the house. And every so often, every time anyone moved, you'd hear the bottom. <laughs> uh, the one joke from Despicable Me that they just kept milking. <laughs> um, but they somehow didn't know that there was a new film. <laughs> so all that money spent on marketing. Didn't work on my nieces. <laughs> well, it must have, it must have worked for a lot of other kids because I I don't think if it wasn't as new because it was super duper successful when it came out. So I think that's one of the one of the main reasons it probably got nominated for a BAFTA. Um, but the category where there seems to be a little bit more, in, well, let's call it integrity, is the shorts, right? Yeah, we have a list of the shorts. There's um, let me see, got. Their first one is Edmund by Nina Gantz and Emily, uh, I can't pronounce that. Uh, is Joffrey? I, I'm mispronouncing it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Edmund and, uh, Manaman by Simon Cartwright and Camilla Christine Holt. And Prologue by Richard Williams and Imogen Sutton. Now, I, I will admit 
most of these names I haven't heard of before. I did actually get to uh, looked up the uh, the various short films though, and I did watch them, and they were definitely interesting. They were very unique. I hadn't seen anything like it before. Not, I'm not sure if I liked it or disliked it yet. That's the one mm-hmm. issue. At least um, with uh, Richard Williams and Prologue, I'm, I'm a bit more familiar with him and his work on um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and uh, The Thief and the Cobbler. So that one I at least knew. And I had I had a bit more understanding of the history behind him and you know his. his previous work so i don't know it's uh are there any of those names that are shorts that you guys recognize i've heard the prologue um it's it's quite i think it's kind of part of the course not to know what the shorts are to be honest i don't because they're it's quite often it's hard they're hard to track down or whatever mm-hmm. um, you said that you saw them all rachel though. i actually found a majority of them on youtube believe it or not yeah mm. Or at least like a couple like second previews of them, so yeah. I got to oh, I got okay. to see okay. like a couple seconds worth of um, what the animation style would look like. Oh yeah, I think I saw a teaser for Prologue. I think. Um, yeah, we we spoke we spoke about it on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I'm only now just remembering it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this this is this is episode twenty five. Yes, we talked about a lot of things. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. I just realized um, I, forme- I forgot to mention that in the very beginning of the episode. I was like, crap, I knew I forgot to mention something <laughs> the start of the, the episode. Other t- the, other, the other two animated shorts, Edmund and Man on Man, are NFTS shorts. The NFTS. National Film and Television School. Yes. Which is... Where we got Nick Park from? Hey. Uh, yeah. So, so, like, they're basically going to be very big budget student chores. Mm-hmm. There is one other uh, nomination. Oh, was um, was there? Uh, Inside Out was nominated for best original screenplay. Right, so. right. I was going to get. I forgot. Oh, I was going to get to that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that, that was interesting. That um, looking at that, the fact that um, you know, that aside from best animated feature, that you know, an animated film got nominated for a category other than that. Because mm-hmm. normally they like to try and keep them uh, isolated into one category, but there's every so every so often there's like one or two films that break out into another category. Mm-hmm. Keep them at the kids' table in the box where they belong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> My sentiments exactly, Dan. It's like um, it's like we, we I, have a place for I them; think, they don't should go beyond it. I I think the general consensus seems to be leaning towards right in terms of winners. There are no winners; there are only participants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Inside Out probably going to take it, right? I I kind of feel like it's probably going to win them all. Um, all the mm-hmm. major. Uh, I, th- mm-hmm. I think the Golden Globes are in tonight in the US. Um, oh, really? That... My goodness, I forgot about that. I better set that to record. <laughs> so I expect it's going to win that. But although they gave um, How to Train Your Dragon the award last year when Big Hero 6 won most. Yeah. 
most of the big ones. Yes, it did. Um, well, I don't know if it did. I remember How to Train Your Dragon actually sweeping the board at the Annies and the Globes, oh, oh, yeah. right? It, it did did really well at the Annies. How to Train Your Dragon it, 2 did tremendously well. Uh, for good reason. It's a wonderful film. In the, in the yeah, Annie's like dreamers, mm. don't they? <laughs> I think we've mentioned this. Well, I, I, can't, yeah. I can't say it's I blame them because they've, they've really broken out in the last couple of years. Hmm. At least just this, mm. that's just my So opinion, that's the, the Baftas. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh, it, at least, at least, the Baftas. Uh, <laughs> saying, say, saying that the Baftas like that, <laughs> Chris, and they all make sense like, to get Sarah Gishon the Sheep is one of the nominations. <laughs> go Sean <laughs> go Sean go Sean yeah I'm going to be there waving my flag and it's not going to be in the broadcast anyway so oh. it's gonna be well that's why, you, that's why you have to get it out now they just, they just cut it out they go oh no the animation category we'll put that in the little clip at the end <laughs> yeah, alright yeah yeah okay enough, enough moaning and groaning is there um, any other Stories that you might, either of you might have heard of that you would like to make a quick mention of before we move on to the next uh, topic of discussion. Dan, I think you said about something. Oh yeah, I I noticed something a couple of days ago. Um, it was broken by Variety. There is uh, gonna be a new Sylvain Chamay film. Finally. So he's his last film was The Illusionist in 2010. Oh yeah, I, I never saw it, but I heard about it. Not the one with Edward Norton. Oh, okay. I think I've gotten that confused then. That's the the magician the, the magician one that had, he's. <laughs> that wasn't the magicians. That's the magician. Yeah, The Illusionist was like. Jack Tati kind of reimagined as a magician in Edinburgh. Huh. It, yeah, it's it, it, it's one of those things where, like, it, if you've seen it, you know you've seen it. <laughs> okay, um, all right. Now I feel kind of uh, less bad. Oh, can I get mixed up? But for a second I was going to ask, like, if you could just give me a minute and I could just do it. No! No, there are a bunch of movies called The Illusionist, I think. It's really confusing. <laughs> But anyway, so he's, he has a new film out, which is called The Thousand Miles. And it's had a really lengthy, like, development process. And he's actually developed, like, one or two things, I think, in the interim. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, like, looks like it's really moving ahead with production. It's being produced by, um, like, a, a company in London. And then it's, like, going to be... Um, animated, I think, like in France and some other European, you know, like lots of European um, animation animated movies. It's probably going to be a pre-production between a few countries. Okay. Um, hey. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, the story that uh, the, the information about the story that's been released is. Um, it's set in like Italy in like the early 1980s and it follows like two, um, aging brothers, hmm. uh, who, uh, like, sh- who reunite through their shared lifelong dream to compete in 
Italy's Mi Miglia, um, a Brescia to Rome and back vintage car rally. Oh, uh, kind of uh, like with belt. Bill rendezvous with the um, Tour de France. Mm, his, yeah, exactly. Exactly. His first. Um, so yeah, like this is kind of going to be a return to those sorts of images, I suppose, because, like as you said, Chris, his first feature film was around like the Tour de France, and uh, a long part of the film was a bike race. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all that we know about this for now. Um, apparently we can expect further announcements, uh, when the Berlin Film Festival kicks off in, okay. in February. Oh. So, yeah, and they, and they release an image. They release a couple of images actually. Um, one is like of what looks like Jesus. Like, That's the one I'm staring at right a, now, and I'm a bit like, I'm a bit in curious. Kind of like, in, yeah, which does not look like the film that I've just described. <laughs> and then no. there is an, <laughs> it's like a sort of like a war-torn landscape where there are two giant, like mechanical, like boobs, and then. <laughs> I they're, thought they looked like Ferris wheels to me, so that's we're seeing two different things. They look like Ferris wheels, but come on, they're boobs. <laughs> um, uh, and then there's like Jesus in a in like a a World War One like hat, or probably World War Two hat. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But there's another image that they've released, which is like. A nice, um, more scenic, like, thing. Um, what am I saying? That looks like the main characters, like, in cars on what looks like a nice, picturesque, um, you know, vintage car race. Come for the vintage car race, stay for the Jesus and the (laughs) magical mechanical boobs. Yeah. Oh my god, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this, this definitely looks like it's gonna be an interesting movie. I'm I'll admit I'm intrigued. But it sounds really, really French. It sounds freaking French. But it's being <laughs> it's being produced in the UK. So it's gonna at the end of the so day. So it's gonna count. Yeah, it's gonna and also it's Savan Chame, so he's contributing to the non death of 2D feature animation. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's all we know for now. So we'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it for sure. Awesome. Okay, yeah. and uh, okay, so that pretty much concludes it for the news uh, portion of the podcast for today. And um, I guess that gives us uh, rain to go into what we've been seeing, what we've seen this past week. Um, I know I've got a couple things that I want to talk about, but I want to let you guys, if there's anything in particular you want to talk about, if you want to go first. Um, I don't know. Who, who, would, who would, would like to start? Well, I, I guess it's been a while since I've I've been on the show to be able to talk about anything I've watched, so I've got a couple of things that I just wanted to touch on. Um, I, I know last week, Dan, you talked about the um, Ardman 
documentary, uh, Grand Night Inn. Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, I I just wanted to briefly also recommend how great that was, and um, it was it was when it was on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, um, and I was I was like watching it with my parents, and um, there were like several clips from the movies, and there just my my mum and dad were like really laughing at at the clips in in the mm-hmm. film, and it was just like. It just shows you like how, you know, you could, as it happened, there were like two generations in the room, but there could have been four, <laughs> and there'd be little kids laughing and and, you know, the, their parents and their parents. It, it's like it's, it just works for everyone. It's just classic, across the board entertainment type thing. That's yeah, one of the things that makes Armin so special. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but it's also like it's not the thing. It's not like doing the Shrek thing where. No, it's not going on ah, for the kids, nudge, nudge. One for the dads. But it's yeah. like, um, I watched I watched the pirates movie, um, pirates, you know, in a, an adventure with scientists, um, with my family the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. and everyone in the room laughed in the same way at the same time at the very simple dipping his custard cream in the tea joke. <laughs> because it's something that everyone could relate to, yeah. And it's, it's also like the most like English joke in the world as well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's about tea and biscuits. It's about tea and biscuits, and like I just love the attention to detail. And it's not just any biscuit; it's a bloody custard cream with the little like diamond design that they have. Mm. Duke of the biscuits. I wouldn't say king. It's um, it's quite high up there. It's it's pretty high <laughs> up there. I don't have one for ages. Okay, <laughs> this has turned into a custard cream podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, that documentary was great. Yeah, it was. I I I got a bit emotional. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was generally really well researched as well. Which is what I like. Like they really took the time and effort into really describing where Ardman came from, and they didn't just mm-hmm. gloss over like the developmental period. And there were there were mm-hmm. things that I'd never seen before. I'd never seen the um, they showed like the first two D short that they made with the guy called Ardman. Oh yeah, I've heard. I think I'd only heard of it. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I might have possibly seen that and quality talking heads on that one um uh john lasseter matt groening brad bird i think was in it oh wow it? i can't remember yeah. yeah but yeah brad bird and and sorry i didn't see him in there though but um like martin freeman and bill nye and mm. timothy spall um yeah i think i remember you mentioned bill nye last week when you were talking about this yeah definitely yeah, it was, but it's really good. Um, and obviously, matched with the Shaun and the Sheep, the Farmers Llamas was also very good. But they they were sort of Christmas watching. I just wanted to give another shout out for. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I I kind of saw on on the Twitters someone put a link up. I think to um, it being on YouTube, but it's not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't think that's terribly official. So, I don't uh, think it's terribly uh, awful either. Sorry, but it's like it's a 
it's a BBC doc. Like it's going to be on the iPlayer, and then it's going to show up every Easter. So, hmm. and it's, prob- it's going to be. I don't think at, th- at this point, like th- you know, a few years ago, we were lamenting about like how the Disney Vault conducts themselves. But now I'm mm. like feeling that way about the BBC Vault. <laughs> All of these things that they show, which they don't release on, you know, CD or MP3 or you know, or DVD. I just think, well, it's well, going to end up on YouTube. Sorry. They've they've just started this BBC store thing where you can download things like iPlayer to buy, basically, and they've got loads of old stuff on it. Oh, really? Yeah, like they started it like just before Christmas or something. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, but whether it's on there, I don't know. Mm-hmm. If if you can see it legitimately, obviously you should. Uh, but it's probably still on the iPlayer, right? Uh, till probably till twenty sixth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. So okay. If you're, the, if you're in the UK, or if you use such things as unblock us, and you're outside the UK, you can still watch it. Yep, it's available for fourteen more days. There we go. Um. Oh, and there was also you get to see a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of Nick Park's next film. Yeah, of course. I forgot about that. Early Man, mm. it's called. At one point, I think it's called Early Man United because it's it's kind of football based uh, and caveman based. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, something I watched for a review for my M magazine that wasn't my normal sort of thing uh, was an anime series called Made Sama. Uh, and is that what I think it is? It sounds like oh, it's it's about well, it is about someone working in a maid cafe, but it's not like you might think oh, this show's going to be about boobs, but it's actually um, I'm not interested. It's it's um it's actually based on a um a manga in a shoujo magazine, so it's actually <coughs> not what you might think. Okay, so it's um, more it was more uh young younger girl oriented than boy oriented. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, and yeah, she works at. She's like the the high flying count like student council president in in this school, uh, but her family's a bit poor. So in her spare time, she works in a maid cafe, which is all very nice and fluffy, and everyone's very friendly, and it's all kind of hijinks <laughs> yeah. ensues, I assume. Um, and but there's this guy who's like the school heartthrob, oh, and. No. and he discovers her secret that she works at the maid cafe, and uh, he then starts hanging around. Like, and he's basically like, "Yeah, I won't reveal your secret if you you'll hang around with me a bit." And she goes, "Oh, you're an awful stalker, jerk, pervert." And so yeah. he blackmails her. Yeah, this this is my problem with the show. <laughs> it's like um, <laughs> you're supposed to like this relationship. <laughs> We're okay, supposed to be rooting for them. There are lots of um. I have a friend who's like really into shoujo and into like J drama and K drama, mm-hmm. and she was explaining to me like there is this weird trope of really very unpleasant male characters who will treat the main characters like shit, but you kind of. I meant to like them and kind of root for them, and they and it's always like if there is a guy in the first episode 
who is a total asshole to the main character, you can guarantee they're going to end up together by the end. They seem to love that. Re- they seem to really like that relationship cliche. The whole, you know, late eighties, early nineties cliche. Like, I hate you. I hate you. I love you. I love you. Kind of thing. Well, there's. I think there's a difference between like, I hate you. I hate you. I love you. I love you. To like, I'm going to be thoroughly unpleasant to you, but because you're a woman and because you're desperate, you're gonna keep going back to me. Yeah, I. It's kind of, I haven't. You know, I haven't watched a lot of. I haven't watched a lot of shoujo, um, <laughs> and obviously it's not aimed at me. Um, I am not and have never been a teenage girl, but um, <laughs> it's. Um, I find it's quite a common thing. Of, like the male lead is just a dick. <laughs> it's just like you're. You're supposed to. You want this relationship, but it's like no, that guy's a dick, <laughs> and. Maybe that maybe that's just age, or you know, having an older view of uh, that particular like cliche. Maybe maybe that's why you're just like, no, that doesn't seem healthy. You know, like the main characters are nice and likable and everything. There's just this guy, and like, oh, but he he always comes through for her at the end. And it's like, yeah, but most of the time he's just a dick. (laughs) Kind of overrides it, and to make it even in the second half, this like. Another love rival shows up, and he's her childhood friend. Oh boy! And, and he used to be fat, and now he's not. And he's. <laughs> I've heard of that before. And he's basically, he's so much nicer. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he he sort of follows her around like a puppy a bit. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's not a dick. <laughs> it's like, who's she gonna go for? Well, <laughs> the dick, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, that's why that's why I like it when um, like say that you know shoujo has been known to do that for at least a lot of the series that I'm familiar with that's why when like one of the first uh, shoujo series that I reviewed on this uh, site um, uh, Yona of the Dawn I mean they Mm -hmm. you can tell it's they've kind of they the the main lead that they have uh, the romantic lead that they have in the uh, in that show is kind of similar but they do it more like you know these characters have known each other since they were kids he's always teased her like you know boys tease girls when they're younger and you know just since they've known each other growing up you know until the age that they are now it's just you know they just do that is because that's what they've always done being friends you know and so that that actually seemed like it makes sense and then you know the plot would go forward and then it would develop into actual you know possible romance but that's just I don't know. That's like something like that made, seem, made it seem a whole lot more natural than just, you know, I'm a jerk to you, but you're just going to fall in love with me anyway. <laughs> because, because the plot I'm demands pretty. it. <laughs> because the writer demands that I do. I, I think it generally comes around to, yeah, he's a dick, but he's quite pretty. That's what they. That's what pretty they much, think. yeah. And I think, like, that's. It just seems like what is one of those things which is like a genre requirement at this point where it's like look you just got to go with it and 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 particularly like with you watching it chris you there's an element of like it's like have you ever tried to watch the twilight movies like there's an there's there's like a point where i can kind of get along with them and then i kind of just give up because i just have to concede it's not made for me 
<laughs> if not my fantasy. Uh, <laughs> I'm just. Don't mind me. I'm just gonna be heaving over here. Just, just. Just reactions to Twilight. Just the mention of it. <laughs> there was a joke um, that I saw. It was a really. It's a very short one, but there was just. I forget who. I forget where I found it, but there was like somewhere where you have a person grabbing a, another person's head, pounding it against a chalkboard wall, saying, Twilight, is it literature? Like, that's basically my reaction whenever, <laughs> whenever that Twilight is brought up in conversation. That's why well, I'm just it's, like... It's, it, that's kind of, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, that's not the point. Is that it's not trying to be literature, and it's like the show that Chris is mentioning, it doesn't sound like it's trying to do anything than just be like a wish... Like a like a fulfillment fantasy yeah, for and... girls who are too young to probably go out and get jobs and meet boys. It's, yeah, it's, uh, and I think it's okay for things to do that. Yeah, so long as no, I they. Didn't, do... I didn't give it a horrible review. No. I gave it like I gave it a six out of ten. Like, you know, that's I pretty good. This this is it's... this is you know it's pretty well done at what it is. It's just and it's yeah sort of frothy and light and enjoyable and everything for the most part. It's just like you just can't help going, he's a dick. It's just it's just uh, Jojo fluff. Yeah. So, you know, it's it is what it is. <laughs> that kind of um uh one other I I have watched um the new Netflix comedy F Family F is for Family mm-hmm. the Bill Burr one. Ah. Uh I, I don't have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, would you say F is for flipping mediocre? It, I, don't, I don't... I I kind of want to... It's only like... I think it's only like five episodes, so... Mm-hmm. I'm, I might be giving it another go, because I'm, I'm just sort of... It's... I sort of like some things about it, but it's... It kind of reminds me of sort of like... A, or King of the Hill, but... Uh-huh. More swearing and <laughs> why are there five are there five episodes because it feels very dense with like quality or what? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Like, <laughs> I did. I didn't realize, but it it sort of goes. It it has got the sort of BoJack Horseman thing of where it doesn't quite you know quite sad. Go, oh, that's yeah. Mm. Um, because he goes through some problems and stuff, and it's. I yeah I I don't think I'm ready to offer too much of an opinion yet. It's it's really well made. Um, I just I don't know where I I don't know where it sits with me yet. Um, That's really interesting. It's not had a lot of buzz. It's not like because the it seems like Netflix's um, like big Christmas hit was was making a murderer. <laughs> yeah, was making a murderer. Oh, God. So I've not heard like many people talking about Evans for Family. It seems like no. And I, I think I remember Bojack Horseman was being similar, where like it was a slow burn on lots of people, and by the time the second season rolled around, people had seen it. They were waiting for it, but well, everyone they had to hear everyone say, "No, no, you got to have to get past the third episode." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it gets good. Well, yeah, I was one of those people, definitely. Yeah. I did, I watched like the first couple and I put it down for six months because I was like, 
what the hell is that? And then I, of course I finished the season and I was like, well, that's excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I might check it out then soon. Soonish. Yeah, I, I think, I think I'm going to sort of leave it and then go back to it and see, see what I, maybe. Obviously, I haven't reacted it to it in a major way, like I, like I hate it or anything. It's just, it's just fine. kind of like in the middle F of the is, room. F is, F is for fine. That's kind of where I am at the moment. But I like, I like the fact it's set in the seventies and everything, and mm. it's got, you know, the production values are really good and it has everything. Has sort of atmosphere yeah. around it. Yeah, I, I think you know, I want to, I want to really like it. I'm not quite there yet, okay. but. Like I said, I think I'm going to rewatch it. Um, just one other thing quickly. Um, has anyone ever seen any of the Mike Tyson mixtures? No. It's an, do you know anything about it? Mm-mm. It's an adult. It's an adult swim series. You know, the, the ten minute episode things. Um, and it's like seventies Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. A, a mystery team of people investigating things. Only one of them's Mike Tyson, um, <laughs> voiced by Mike Tyson, um, and he's got his um, fifteen-year-old adopted Vietnamese daughter, <laughs> um, or Korean, okay. I think she is. So, um, a pigeon who used to be a man, voiced by um, Norm Macdonald, who's a sort of hard-drinking, foul-mouthed, highly sexed pigeon. Oh, okay. Um, and a a um like eighteenth century ghost effeminate ghost <laughs> voiced by called the Marquis voiced by Jim Rash from ah, community. He looks like Jim Rash. Yeah. Um <laughs> and the character design of Mike Tyson really looks like Mike Tyson. <laughs> that's a great character yeah. design. It's yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's mental and I it's very entertaining, and I don't want—I kind of don't want to like it because Mike Tyson's a mm. bad man. <laughs> it does take the piss out of him quite a lot for being stupid. Um, uh, I don't think he gets it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's very much an adult swim show. Um, and I've watched a few episodes of this recently, and it's—it's just—it's so bizarre. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, yeah. I did. I did see that. Like, I probably saw a press release. But uh, yeah, that's thanks for bringing that up because um, it looks pretty good. I mean, like the design and the production. I don't know if, if you if you've got a soft spot for sort of like the the um, Hanna Barbera cliched. Oh, let's get a bunch of teenagers and a dog stroke. <laughs> or a, a caveman, or a or a giant dog, talking shark. Dog, I got, the production giant, yeah. values look like better than some of the recent actual Scooby Doo cartoons. Well, they're definitely better than the seventies <laughs> ones. But well, yeah, which is kind of like funny. But um, yeah, I love like Space Ghost and you know those sorts of things, which kind of. And um, what was the other, uh, the one they did that was like Space Ghost? Uh, was it Birdman? No. Yeah. Okay. Um, Harvey Birdman. Brack Show. Harvey Birdman. Attorney. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, so yeah. Funny. 
it was great. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I think I'll check that out. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> that that's pretty much me done. So. Nice one. Anything you've seen this weekend, or has it just been too much of a whirlwind of a week for you? Oh, um. <laughs> Well, actually, like, a weird thing happened this week where, so, like, I have not wanted to watch cartoons for a long time Mm -hmm. because I just want, like, a break from them. Because I I work on a cartoon at the moment and see cartoons all day and when I come home I just want to watch a film or nothing. Just I really wanted to watch a cartoon this week. And I, 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 um... I started watching the new Lupin series. Ooh. Lupin the Third Part Four. I think that's what it's called. I, I yeah. yeah. Um Blue Jacket. Yeah. And I <laughs> it's, it's great. I've not really um seen too much Lupin. Like I've seen a few of the specials and I've seen like a few of the movies and I've seen a few episodes of the first season. So I have an idea of like what it's, what Lupin is, what the characters are like. Um, and it's great. It's just fun and kind of funny. And, you know, Lupin is his like old dastardly self. And, <laughs> um, yeah, the tone is just there. And it seems, um, I'm a bit late watching this because it's been on. It's only just gone on Crunchyroll. It's only just been it's on Crunchyroll, but there are 15 episodes which have been released. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but it only went on there this week. Mm. Yeah. So. And so in case you didn't know. There's been a special which aired in Japan this week, I think. Like a like a TV movie. And that went down really well. So, yeah, I'm going to try and keep that up and, and keep watching it. It's... um. It's just really colourful, and the animation's great, and the action's really good. It's got really high production values. Um, I'm really excited about. What there was like yeah, a same. the last thing I watched was like a like Lupin wise was, I think in 2012 or 2013 there was a series um, directed by Takeshi Koike who directed Redline. And it was like, it was called, um, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't a Lupin series. It was called A Woman Called Fujike, Fujiko Mune. I believe it was actually directed by, uh, what's it? She, a woman, um, called someone Yamamoto. My um, bad. Um, she directed a series called, oh, what's it called? Uh, Mitch Cohen Hatchin. And oh, really? I didn't know that. And she's she was involved in Space Dandy as well because mm-hmm. uh, she's worked with uh, Nijiro Watanabe before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I believe it's like... You're right, yeah. It's Sayo Yamamoto. She, and mm-hmm. uh, oh, I'm thinking, there was a TV movie called Jigen's Gravestone. Which was mm-hmm. by Koike, but done in the same style. Yeah, but Koike really did have an involvement with the look of the show. He was the character designer and the animation director. That's probably why I thought of him because mm-hmm. 
the Fujiko um, Mine series um, really like looks like a koi show. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, like this one is just like good old classic Lupin, and it has it's just fun. It's just fun. So I don't know if I'd recommend that yet, but it seems to be going down really well, and and it's and it seems like to be a little bit like like Fujiko um, Mine was really quite adult and very sexy, <laughs> like in it was, um, it was lots of boobs in that. Yeah, it was really like erotic. The whole like angle and everything. Um, like she just had her top off a lot for no reason. Um, well, there were boobs in the open. Well, yeah, there was the nipple count started in the um, opening <laughs> sequence. That's yeah. the um, was it which is like, why like the, the plan like fries coffee count <laughs> just in the corner of the screen. Yeah, which is why plans to air it on Adult Swim never happened. Yeah, I I see. Um. So yeah, I watched that. I, I I also watched some there was also something I watched that I watched like before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it's it had like a I it was just like a fun little short and it had a really big impact on me. And I watched it again this week and I, I love it. It's so you should it's something that you can all watch and just like Google it right now. It's called um Kedal or Kedal which is which is a, it's a it's a short from Goblin, the French animation school. Um, I think it means uh, it's it's translated as bugger all. Okay. <laughs> and it's just like a three-minute short film about like kids hanging out, and it's really unlike nothing that I've ever seen in animation in terms of like the editing and how the story is told, how voiceover is used, like the atmosphere they get across. And it's kind of funny, um, so I re- I just really recommend checking it out because it's it's one of my favorite like animated shorts I've seen recently. Wow. Okay. How do you, how do you spell the name? If I may ask. Okay, you spell it. Q U E. K. K. Dal. Dal is spelled D A double L E. Double L E. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And if you Google that, like, it will come up straight away. Okay. Um, that's all I've been watching, I think. Um, yeah, um, I just want to say something, like, really quickly about what happened last week was Rachel and me kind of looked ahead to 2016 in animated movies. And I did the stupid thing where I didn't really prepare very well for the episode. And I just Googled, like, uh, upcoming animated 2016 things. And, of course, Google spat back, like, all of the big 
Hollywood um, produced animated movies that are due this year. And I got very, very down on the whole thing. And I started throwing my toys out the pram and saying, oh, look, Rachel, I told you, animation's a joke and it's for losers and oh, we'll never be taken seriously with shit like this. And of course, there's like a bunch of great looking independent animated films coming out in 2016. So like, from G Kids alone, there's a French film called April and the Extraordinary, and the Extraordinary World. Oui. <laughs> uh, aussi, uh, Phantom Boy, which is, uh, um, from the guys who made Cat in Paris. Ooh. And that's also, like, released by G Kids. And then, like, on top of that, you have, um, a French, uh, independent film called Long Way North. Which was essentially kickstarted, I think, um, which is based on a short, um, Dofus or Dofus, however you pronounce that. There's, there's a movie of that. Um, there's The Little Prince, which is coming out. Um, a Polish film called Another Day of Life. Uh, there's going to be a new Makoto Shinkai film called Your Name. And then, of course, we said, you know, uh, uh, there's the Red Turtle, which is, um, Michael DeDoctorwitz's first feature, like a co-production with Studio Ghibli. There's an Italian film coming out called Cinderella and the Cat. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's another one called Loving Vincent, which is about Van Gogh. Oh, there's wow. a French film called My Life is a Zucchini. Um. Okay. Cool title. Yeah, um, I like how they trans, obviously they had to translate courgette. <laughs> um, French is called, uh, ma vie de courgette. Mm. Um, and the nut job too. So, <laughs> so, yeah, like I could, the reason I was so down on everything was because I was only looking at it from one perspective and like that's a, a nice little embarrassment of riches when it comes to interesting independent animated films coming out in 2016 so mm -hmm. let's not forget those and i'll, and I'll be, keep, I'll be keeping TV my eye too. exactly so i'll be keeping my eye on them and i uh will not be so down on the whole thing but i doubt i'll probably be paying my hard-earned cash to go and check out nut job too yeah <laughs> Um, I, I figured if it was like the big, the big uh, Hollywood produced films, where if that was in a bit of a lull, that would leave plenty of opportunity for other uh, studios or other like independent, like you said, independent animation to get some time in the limelight. Because with that, because of that, they'll have less competition to be seen. So I guess that make yeah makes some sort of sense. I hope um, at least if I'm looking at it from the right perspective. But yeah, that's that's a lot of films. Yeah, so that was just like one like thing i just wanted to to, to to mention really okay it also sounds like boy and the beast might be coming out in america from february maybe Ooh. um according to i think it's amc cinemas mm. have said on their website awesome. so. excellent so that's another another one to look out for and because i wasn't here last week i i um just wanted to say that we did a little poll online of what film 
people are most excited about for 2016 and um, Kubo and the Two Strings won out narrowly beating Moana nice because um, uh, it was a two round thing because I put out oh what are people excited about Moana blah, blah 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 and someone said oh I would have voted for Kubo and the Two Strings and I went oh yeah yeah it was a uh, right. round uh, <laughs> oh, yeah I would have voted for Kubo and the Two Strings yeah me too how, how have I forgotten that um but yeah, it worked out quite well because we had them, and then Kubo and the Two Strings won quite convincingly the second round, and then went up against Moana, and it was a close thing. It was fifty-fifty for a while, and then yeah. wow, that's really so cool. Kubo and, and also, I should just in relation to last week's episode, I should also plug our big, big um, best of twenty fifteen feature. Ah, uh, yes, which feet, which features lots of. Which features contributions from several of us, including me and Rachel here, and Christoph and lovely Joe as well, and also including our vote for the number one film of 2015, which it was Song of the Sea. Yeah. You'll be you'll be shocked. <laughs> um, <gasps> if you want to go on US release only, that's Inside Out, um, <laughs> which came very close second. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um. I'll try to get what I saw this week out of the way as quickly as I possibly can so we get on our main topic. But um, one of the main major things that I uh, watched this week actually was a big, it was a mini, mini family affair uh, with me and my brother and my mom all watching it together was uh, something, a little uh, weekly premiere of um, Steven Universe episodes uh, called The Steven Bomb came out this week. Um and basically what they did is that after a bit of a hiatus um, since before the holiday season started, uh, they had and they premiered a new episode every day this past week with the last episode airing on uh, Friday evening. Nice. And uh, I have to say um, major, major props to Rebecca Sugar and her entire everyone who's working on Steven Universe because each episode that was released this week just consistently was just better and better and better and better and better. It was just, oh my God, it's, it's, I don't want to go into it too much because it was very, it was a very spoiler heavy week in terms of like a lot of stuff that's, you know, going to come back to play later on in the series. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, you're going to, you know, you're going to want to at least see the lead up into this, uh, arc, but it had wonderful, wonderful character development with the characters. We got to learn more about certain characters' backstories and expanded on the whole, you know, relationship between the Crystal Gems and the planet they came from and the different views that both of those, uh, both they and the, their, the rest of their race share. But it just, uh, and then and more character development for Steven himself and how he's turning 14, yet he still looks like he's 11 or 12. <laughs> it's like they actually give a legitimate reason for that. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was, it was was amazing. Like, I don't think I've ever remembered, like, a, a premiere like this. At least and normally it's, and like, for a show, it's a new episode every week. And, I mean, that's how they've released previous, you know, episodes for this show before. Um, when it comes to like new new material, but this was just every single day. So I mean, it it, it kind of makes sense that they made it went on hiatus when they did because they were probably just getting ready for this this week, and it 
paid off immensely. Like the reaction, as far as I understand it, besides, you know, that and the reaction of my family, it's been pretty positive all across the board. So just like I said, again, Rebecca Sugar and her entire team did an amazing job, and I cannot wait for new episodes to start up again. Awesome. On the subject of Steven Universe, did anyone hear about the story this week? From the UK. But it got censored. I was working on it today. Okay, what happened was um, there was an episode which was like an older episode, Mm -hmm. which was like, you know, because the UK is behind, was finally aired this week in the UK. I think it was this week. Um... And it involved like a song and dance number with between Pearl and there was this moment where she, sorry, Pearl and what's the big like curly haired thing called? Oh, Rose Quartz. That's Stephen's mother. Okay, so Rose and Pearl have a little dance together. Okay, I and know the episode you're talking about. It's yeah. called. And um... there's this like ever so slightly. In- dance where like Pearl is like twirled by Rose and she kind of you know um is like it's like Borum dancing she's thrown on her back almost she I I don't know what that <laughs> what am I talking about you know that kind of that move like where com- some, yeah yeah where you I don't where know you're what you call that lower I, I I know I can I can picture in my mind where like the dan- one dancer who's leading like uh, lets the person who they're dancing with like they they lean back and kind of almost hit almost hit the ground but don't you know don't quite get there and then just pull them back up and keep dancing it's kind of like a tango thing yeah so i so actually hang on i'm not even sure then if it was steven or his dad just when steven stands younger does he look a lot like steven yes he does okay so it might be his dad it might not be yeah I because you, if he's got long brown hair that's his dad okay i can't i, I can't really speak to that stuff but basically what happened was there was a side-by-side comparison video that came out where the scene was com- the the scene was compared um, in how it was shown in the UK and how it was shown in the US. Mm-hmm. And there is a shot where Rose and Pearl are dancing, and they get a little close and they share like a little glance between one another. Mm-hmm. And in the UK broadcast. That shot was kind of botched. Like re- there was, there was just like a repeated shot of someone um, of of Stephen like strumming his guitar. Oh, you, that that you mean his dad, Greg? Okay, his dad then. Because like, it strumming... can't be Stephen and Stephen and Rose. Actually, this is a bit of a plot point. Stephen and Rose can't exist at the same time. So, gotcha. Okay. okay. Um. But the point is, is that it basically, it was an interesting moment where the show is quite well known for pushing certain boundaries and quite, um, uh, and, and just like representing like, you know, queer, um, possibilities of relationships. Yes. Yes. So, the reason it was such a big deal and the reason everyone is saying, oh, censorship is because it was, it was, it was, it was, it seems like an inherently quite homophobic thing to do. Yeah. They haven't, I mean, nothing, I, there's nothing really sexual in what happened at all. 
and there was nothing that was really inappropriate for kids. It was probably just the fact that it was between two women. Which is weird. Has this ever happened with um, Steven Universe episodes that have aired prior? Because I know that the episode you're speaking of is a bit of a later one. And okay, well, the, the the thing I wanted, the only thing I can really say about all this is that there, it was an interesting moment for me because it was like a big misunderstanding between what Cartoon Network might be in the US and what it might be in the UK. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, it really is seen as like a babysitting channel. And it's, and the way that kids' channels are regulated in the UK is very different. Like, we don't have Adult Swim because it, it, it's, um, it's against like Ofcom regulations to have a frequency shared by a kids' channel and a channel, um, you know, showing quite adult content. Mm-hmm. So the way, like, it works is already quite different. Um, yeah. And it seems like the, the problem seems to be, like, that it's much more like a, a parent and kid channel than, like, a kid channel. And okay. it's not really watched by as many adolescents as Cartoon Network is in the US either. Um, I think it's really... A poor excuse, frankly. Yeah. That they, Cartoon Network UK, like, defended the decision, which I think was really, um, surprising. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of showed a lack of understanding of their actual audience. Yeah. Um, and, and the show in general, because I mean, I know that that stuff is hinted at, you know, in, in the series itself, but it's never really shoved in anyone's face so yeah yeah i i just thought it was an interesting moment where you know the creators like really fight really hard for these things to be in the show only for like the last hurdle for um a an executive decision to kind of botch that effort Mm -hmm. um yeah, and the, the only thing I wanted to say about all, all the discussion is everyone is is kind of talking about the BBFC's guidelines. Yeah. And the thing is, is that that kind of falls apart when you talk about TV because the BBFC do not regulate TV. Yeah. TV is regulated by a body called Ofcom, and they have very, very different rules about what they deem to be acceptable at certain times with certain audiences and on certain channels. Yeah. So if people are discussing that, fine. Discuss, like, what you think about... It's not it's not fair to call it censorship, because it's... it's yeah, it's more self-censorship. But if you're going to be talking about it, think about it in terms of Ofcom rules, which are crazy, and nobody completely understands them, mm-hmm. uh, rather than BBFC rules, which only really apply to films. Yeah. Um, yeah, personally, I think it was really pathetic and uh, quite homophobic, really. Yeah, because very, very poor taste. So there's very little about the scene itself, which is uh, sexual, really. Yeah, and I'm, I'm slightly gonna... intimate, and it's and it's and it kind of draws some attention to itself. It's not the focus of the episode, 
It's very fleeting. Um, yeah, the rest, uh, of, the rest of the episode is, I mean, that's just a bit of it, but the, the rest of the episode is actually really beautiful in comparison. That's one of my favorites, believe it or not. Yeah, I think it's something that kids can handle, frankly. Mm-hmm. I think I think basically they were trying to avoid the their about four complaints they might have got and an article in the Daily Mail saying, Cartoon Network trying to shove homosexuality down children's throats. Why do you say that? But as yeah. a they had articles in the Guardian and the Independent uh, on the subjects of the censor- of the censorship. So that's the Guardian and the Independent, <laughs> oh, right? True, but it, I, I think if it had aired, it would have done very little damage. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's why I was asking before. Like, is this the very first case of them censoring this show? At all, because I mean, it's, there have been it's, other instances where they've had, you know, the similar, like the fusion dances early in, in earlier episodes. Some of which, well, I would say, is a bit more, you know, kind of like I don't know. I have some experience with watching like kids' TV in the UK. I would be surprised if this is the first time that they censored or cut anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing because, this is probably like, a, this is an ongoing trend. Yeah, um... That people are now just getting vocal about. I think you're right, yeah. Probably only, only just noted. <laughs> I, th- I think it's that. I think it's honestly that, because there are shows I watched as a kid, like One Piece, which were cut... Oh uh, my god. ...on top of the cuts that Funimation made. So... Yeah. Uh, that was, UK that Kids was TV. For kids. Ugh, don't get me started. So anyway, anyway, there's that that's that story. So let's. All right. Well, thank the least. Thanks for making me aware of that because I had I had no idea that that was going on with this show in the the UK. That's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of sad to be honest. It with is. You. It is. I think the thing to remember though is that it is not censorship. It is. Yeah. Unfortunately, self censorship, which mm-hmm. is not good. Which is even more poor taste, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cowardly. So anyway, it's kind. Sorry, sorry, Chris. It, it's kind of surprising in that in the UK we're generally a little bit more uh, liberal and that's that sort what of thing I thought. Than you you are in the US generally because yeah. we don't have we don't have the same we don't have you know people in the US in the UK who are religious generally um, we sort of tell them to. There doesn't seem to, and be they actually for the most part something. keep quiet, or everyone just ignores them. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that peop- in Britain people think you should probably just keep quiet about, not telling mm-hmm. anyone. Whereas over here, we're just like even the slightest, smallest cross, you know, of- offending of a you know anyone. We're just we just mm-hmm. people get up in arms and like ah, nah, nah, I was insulted by this. I was offended by that. Blah 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 blah. I mean, it, the, I yeah, I agree with you because like Sherlock is on prime time TV here, and everyone watches it. And a big part of that is the whole joke of the um the like the underlying like homoeroticism going on. Yes. And no one has a problem with that because it's like half the fucking joke. <laughs> so you know, it, it it does it does worry me when just 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 when people think they are protecting children. When they're in fact probably doing far more damage than good. That's that's one of the because, reasons I actually children like in the school, universe. Children, children watching, children of an age like watching the universe, they are living in a world where they might have a gay friend, or they might, you know, be coming to understand 
a friend um, whose parents could be of the same sex. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, there are lots of other places where they're going to encounter it. Like, they might watch Paranorman, you know, and and go and understand. Oh, he has a boyfriend. What is that? You know, it's yeah. I I don't understand who, you know, what they're trying to protect. Frankly, apart from it's something that exists in this world, and it's better for kids to have the knowledge and a better understanding of Mm. what it is, as opposed to shielding them and just them just happening upon it and having no idea how to behave. I agree. I agree. And 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 the, the reason I yeah, think it's, yeah. getting, it's worth getting worked up about is because culture is one of the few places where you can just present something and change the world. Mm-hmm. For the for the for better and for good. I'll, I'll tell you an amazing example is the fact uh, Doctor Who how like in the remake of that since it started mm-hmm. they'll they'll just they'll just casually they'll be you know a character there'll be like two male characters who are said to be married or something or someone's someone who Captain Jack you know yeah one of the main characters mm-hmm. is pansexual mm-hmm. and and you know kids were in playgrounds the next day dressing up pretending to be him mm-hmm. and you know, it's about making. You know, it's about normalising it or whatever. Which obviously you get people up in arms. Go, the gay agenda, the gay agenda, the gay mafia. I think trying to corrupt our children. It's the normalisation of it. And what's that Seaman Universe scene? I haven't seen the whole show. I haven't seen every episode. What that scene did was very casual. It was not pushing anything in anyone's face. It was. Something. That's generally the show, whole show's attitude. Exactly, and you and the the other thing is like you're not gonna quench that, uh, you're not gonna um, stifle that unless you don't show the whole show because it's throughout the show. You know, you're not gonna be able to get rid of it by cutting uh, a couple of shots. Moving along, I think we've got, you know, all of uh, what we watched is out of the way, so we're going to move on to the main topic uh, and discuss our thoughts, feelings, and admiration and other and other stuff on Miyazaki and the and his films. So I know, don't know about you guys, but when I first, you know, experienced a film made by Miyazaki, I'm not sure if I ever mentioned this before in a previous podcast, but it was actually the very first film that I watched was uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Uh-huh. And... I fell in love with it just met, just as much as everyone else who ever saw it fell in love with it. And uh, 
and that pretty much opened the gate, the you know, the floodgates for where um, I would, you know, whenever I would see anything related to Miyazaki, like uh, or something that even looked remotely like one of his films, I would immediately like latch on to. Like I think even the what would later become my favorite film of his, uh, Castle in the Sky. And um, yeah, just like he's, I mean, all everything that they. I would say everything that they say about, you know, his style of directing, at least in terms of animated films, you know, everything that he's praised for is pretty true. Is like, you know, I, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't say he's my all-time favorite animation director of all time, but every, all the praise that he gets is definitely, you know, warranted. I think Totoro was my first one I saw as well. In, um, it was when I was, um, I think I was probably already sort of twelve-ish or something. It, it wasn't like when I was eight or you know like the perfect age for. Yeah, same. Thing. Um, when I was you know already starting to get interested in anime and stuff, um, I noticed that they were showing his my neighbor, which I was already aware of it, you know, because I'd I'd already been. I'd been reading about him in like SNES magazines and stuff and discovering anime mm-hmm. and stuff and and um I wanted to see his films and then I discovered that they were showing showing a couple of his films on satellite TV on the movie mm-hmm. channels um they were showing Totoro and Porco Rosso and my dad had a friend who had satellite <laughs> <laughs> he used to sometimes record things for us so he recorded on VHS tape for me, My Neighbor Totoro and Porco oh, Rosso, awesome. like, back to back. And they were like my first, and these were like the old, this was before the Disney deal and everything. So it was um like the old Fox, actually I think they were dubbed for, um, for um, uh, air, air, like they were shown on like Japan Airlines or something. Oh really? And I, th- I think Cole Masick might have directed them or something the guy who did um robotech and oh yeah okay yeah so um there's this old dub with um the voice of angelica from rugrats <laughs> as, um gina as, um no as oh, May, oh right as I, yeah. you know that what i actually cool. remember that i think that was the dub that i saw mm-hmm. with vipers so when That's i got the old. i got it on dvd and then obviously they the different dubbing cast for the uh um, since Disney re-released it, but I, like there was always something about that first one that I'm just like I kind of miss. And then I yeah I loved that stuff. <laughs> it was better than, better than the um the Fanning Twins or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think I didn't. See, I think the next one I saw was um was all the you know when I was quite a bit older all the time when um um when I got my first DVD player and. Um, Princess Mononoke came out in America and I used to import DVDs at that point and I imported Princess Mononoke when it finally came out on DVD after Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, and I think that was my my next one and then it went from there, really. Because <laughs> <laughs> that just blew me away. <laughs> How about you, Dan? Um... Well, I you might be surprised. I didn't actually really come to Miyazaki until quite very late. Mm-hmm. Um, I was suddenly aware of him. Uh, I I became aware of him probably around the same time that Spirited Away was released. And 
Yeah, I honestly didn't like the look of Spirited Away when I first, like, when it was first released, so I didn't try and seek it out or anything. I thought it looked like... Even. Well, the way the, the way that it was marketed, I it just looked quite pretentious to me, <laughs> I remember thinking. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that looks like a real, you know, wanky, like, spiritual film and not at all for me. And it wasn't until, like, much, much later, like, after House Moving Cast was released, um, I was kind of aware it's, of its release, but it was, it was such a limited release, I didn't really get to see it. Um, and it wasn't until, like, when I was, uh, 16, my friend let me Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, yeah. Okay, and I watched that, and then I, I, I gave it back to him, I said, thank you very much for the devastating experience. Are there any more? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. There's, um, there are a bunch you gotta check out. And, and he recommended Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, yes. So I, the first Miyazaki I saw was Kiki's Delivery Service. It was like around the time that Optimum, um, in the UK was like releasing, I guess, the Disney dubs on DVD. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed it and, I was blown away by just how cool it was. Oh, Kiki's um, is amazing. It was mm. it was just unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was it 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 was um I just knew it was very special and it was unlike any of the animation that I'd seen before. It was it was kind of funny, but it had like this really um unique atmosphere. I think that was the thing that really hit me most about it was like there are places in Kiki's delivery service which felt like houses I've been in and hmm. that kind of attention to detail really stuck with me. Um and then like a I didn't really watch any for a while and then what happened was a year later my friend had a pirate coffee of Ponyo. Mm. And I, yeah, and I we've you've you've Addressed your feelings on Ponyo okay. before. We we sat out and we watched it one night, and I annoyed everyone thoroughly <laughs> by how, how the effect the film had on me. I was not ready for it, and then, <laughs> and then after, and pretty much after watching Ponyo, I was like, "Give me it all!" And I give went, me more. <laughs> yeah, and I just I just went around like calling friends, like, "Have you got this DVD?" And then if they didn't, I'd save up for like the DVD and I'd just raid HMV at the weekends, like, catching <laughs> up. Um, and then, I think actually the film I saw after that was Castle of Cagliostro. Oh, fantastic. Um, and then from there I just sort of I got really quite obsessed because I was around the age I was going to, like, animation school. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, what can I learn from you? And I studied his films like crazy and I read all of his articles and his, his, his books that he released and I, I just, I went, I went quite obsessively, um, I just got quite obsessive about like studying him and trying to learn his secrets and what made his films so, so good. Uh, so I have like, a really, for 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 a few years, he was like, like the artist, which was having 
the biggest impact on me um, because he's a really responsible filmmaker, but he's also a really, he loves like art and literature. So when you, when I was studying him, it was never really a dead end because he would have an idea. He would present an idea. Okay. And one of the things about Miyazaki, which is, um, which is interesting, which, which is something I discovered was that he is one of those artists who is really, really good at nicking things and making them his own. There are so many ideas which he puts in his films, which have origins in like paintings or books or old illustrators that no one's ever heard of. And he just like pulls them up and remixes them in his own special way. And what's so exciting about studying him is that you can, you can look into like one of the ideas he had and then it will just be like a rabbit hole into loads of other different artists and illustrators that like influence him. Mm-hmm. Or like he'll mention like an author which influenced him. Like, um, uh, he's, he speaks a lot very fondly of like the Italian, um, sorry, not Italian. I'm so sorry. The, the French author Antoine de Saint-Exprès who mm. wrote The Little Prince. Right, and right. He was like an airmail pilot, um, in the war. And he, like a lot of, um, his, uh, spirit is like in Porco Rosso, uh, definitely. But yeah, so like that's, I have like a really complicated relationship with Miyazaki because there are like parts of like his, working method and personality which i don't completely understand but he is without a doubt like the the artist and illustrator and filmmaker who um had the biggest impact on me yeah Um, yeah and it's 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 still like (laughs) it's still kind of felt um for me still kind of like there will be moments where i'm stuck and i'm like okay how would Miyazaki approach this problem? And it's, and it's not necessarily like that I want to copy what he did. It's like there are just ways he has of thinking which I find very inspiring and and useful. Um, yeah, what so, yeah, inspired like, me what inspired me mostly when I when I watched his films, I mean even even mm-hmm. far back as like watching Totoro is this like the the amount of imagination that's put on screen every single time even if it's like a smaller film like uh kiki's delivery service or um my neighbor totoro just the amount like even even if it's just like only dabbling a little bit in fantasy like not so much but just like a little bit of how he can take that kind of idea that kind of you know imagination and apply it in new ways that haven't exactly been seen before like, I know, like, with even, like, even, like, there's, um, you know, with Totoro and Kiki, it was definitely a lot more subtle, whereas in, say, Spirited Away and Mononoke, it just explodes off the screen. Like, that's basically, like, the whole, the whole thing, like, you know, dabbling between nature, nature and science and, uh, or civilization, as opposed to, you know, you know, just, like, the environment of the, of the, 
this giant bathhouse that's, you know, for the spirits. I feel like he he still really understands, though, like, the importance of making an entertaining film and understanding that, like, in the case of Princess Mononoke, like, it would not make an interesting film to just lecture people on, like, environmental issues. There has to be a dramatic, entertaining way to present those ideas, and he found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably, like, one of the most subtle environmentally uh, focused films I have ever seen. I, I always like saying that um, when when uh, Miyazaki wants to make an environmental film, he makes um, Prince Bononoke, and when the American animation industry wants to make an environmental film, they make Fern Gully the <sighs> Last Rainforest. Um, or the Lorax. Just 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 take your pick, really. Um, I, I'd like to think that maybe the that uh Mononoke hit a bit more of the mark than Ferngully, but that's that's just me. I and it's still and, yeah, it's still an enjoyable movie. It's I I watched it before, I have nothing really against it. I'm just in terms of just generally trying to get the message in a subtle way, I think Mononoke mm-hmm. succeeds a little bit more. <laughs> um like one of the most like uh impressive things I'm thinking of recently is like in terms of his like his scope as as a filmmaker and, a, and an artist in general is that he is able to do everything in a way that I don't think many people can he can make movies for children he can make like really fun short um, animated shorts he can um, tell big, epic stories, very human stories. Like The Wind Rises is is a really mature like mm-hmm. piece of work. It's a drama. It, yeah. It's a biographical drama. It's a biographical, exactly. But then, like, his film before then was a kid's film, which, <laughs> which he was, like, purposefully aiming for the youngest audience possible. He said, like, this moment was yeah. for five-year-olds. He said, like, Totoro is for kids who are maybe, like, seven or eight. But Ponyo is for kids who are much, much younger. But I'm going to go off on a thing about Ponyo now. <laughs> Stop me. <It's... laughs> the, thing, the thing about Ponyo is that it's one of the few films for five-year-olds which has just a degree of care and consideration and he's not giving the five-year-olds what they say they want. He's not giving them, like, fart... He does... By the way, he does fart jokes. There's a fart joke in the pewter. So he's not above all that stuff. Yeah, I know. I remember that. And there's the funniest, like, ever bum-crack joke in House Moving Castle. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> but, like, he... With, um... With Ponyo, like, there is so much thematically happening in the film. It's a film that, that is about vitality and life, and you have all these, like, parallels of, like, old people and, like, I didn't even notice really up until recently, but um, there there is a cliff, like, um, looking out to sea in the film that um, there's a patch of land which is, like, split down the middle and on one side there is a daycare centre for kids, um, like a kindergarten, Mm-hmm. And then on the other side is an old folks' home. Oh, 
So, like, right there you have, like, the contrast of life, which he is, like, exploring. And, and you, he doesn't ever draw attention to that, ever. But, like, it's, 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 for me, it's just indicative of the degree of care to which he puts into what some people think are, like, even his, his slighter films. And just because they're not more obviously dealing with, like, the heavy topics that Mononoke or The Wind Rises does, doesn't mean to say that he's going to put any less effort into presenting themes. Yeah, so, like, we're just taking just general care and attention to detail. That's, like, mm-hmm. you find that in almost every single one of his films. Like, it wouldn't be a Miyazaki film if that wasn't present. In a way. At least that's mm. what I think. Because I've, ne- I've, no- I've like noticed that. that. One thing I like that John Lasseter said, and he put it in a in a way that um, I thought was lovely, was he said like, when you see a new movie, like an animated movie or whatever, or a fantasy film, you might like come away with like one really good idea that stuck with you, that was really new and like unlike anything you've seen before. And he said like in a in a Miyazaki film, there are like four or five of those moments. Yeah. Like an issue of his That's film. true. <clears throat> um, so I, one thing I wanted to talk about was in relation to how people could see Miyazaki is uh, there are lots and lots of articles where people discuss like how fantastic that he um, has slow moments in his film and the movies like stop and breathe and uh, allows for it, development and stuff like that. Yeah, but, like, there are just, like, quiet moments where nothing happens, like, in Totoro, where they're waiting for the bus. hmm Or just, like, one of the many scenes in Kiki's Slivery Service where she's just trotting through town. Um, and they're all... All those moments are there. And I think, really, what I would say in response to that is it's not necessarily that he is great at, like, the small moments he he is absolutely but it's more like he has a great understanding of pacing as a whole oh yeah and one of my favorite like parts of his filmmaking is when he does, when he gets to an action scene because he has a very um quite a, like a classical directing style when it comes to action but it's, like, no less exciting than, like, some of the best action scenes, you know, from Spielberg or, um, you know, take your pick. Uh, so, like, a really good example is in Castle of Cagliostro, the famous uh, action scene from that comes quite early on. It's the, there's, like, a car chase. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That's where my mind went when you said about action scenes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, my mind it went also immediately to Kagosol Kagliostro because that was even like that was one of his first like direct chance of directing films, and it that was it, it makes sense. It was like an action had a lot of action scenes in it. And what's so cool about like the, 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 that scene is that everyone remembers how breakneck the action is, and it's really fun and cartoony and imaginative. People have spoken about that before. But before the action scene starts, um, 
the two characters are just in the car, like, bobbing along, and they're not doing very much, and then suddenly one of their tires bursts. And they have to get out and switch the tire, and then Lupin goes on the roof, and he, like, starts smoking a cigarette, and then there's this, like, shot of a... I think just he's looking up at the sky, and there's a bird... And, you know, there's, like, one of those classically calm Miyazaki moments where the film just breathed for a second. Mm-hmm. And then there's a shot of, like, a um, of a car tire somewhere else racing towards them. And then that whole action scene happens. And um, a woman in the car whizzes by, and she's being chased by a car full of gangsters. And... Uh, Lupin's like, get in the car, man, we're going. And they jump in the car, and just before they slam the door shut, they're off and away on this chase. But what <laughs> makes that chase work in terms of pacing is the fact that this film slowed right down to, um, you know, to the extent that it did beforehand. So that when, like, literally he slams his foot on the on the pedal, you really feel it, and you really feel like, wow, we're suddenly like, you know, you you feel like you are with them, like you've been sitting, you know, waiting for the for the car tire to change, and then before you know it, you're like whizzing around the mountain, uh, <laughs> in, in in a car chase. Uh, yeah, I I love that scene so much. Yeah, that's a wonderful scene. Mm. I also got a lot of the same kind of like tension and excitement from like uh say uh castle in the sky or lapita as you guys know it in the uk where um because a lot of, there there's a lot of action sequences in uh in lapita most of it in the early part of the film is uh the main characters being chased by the pirates and various other people but it, i mean mm-hmm. those are all wonderful especially whenever um airships are involved like the the little uh flying machines that the pirates have but um even more so, like, you know, you have all those various action sequences followed by, you know, and inter- intermixed between uh, those quiet moments with uh, the main characters where they bond and, you know, develop their friendship. And then it all comes to, like, a beautiful, like, it builds to, like, this amazing climax to just, to this day, I'm always just, like, even though I know what's going to happen, <laughs> yeah. I'm just watching the main character just, you know, going through, like, hell and back, trying to, you know, the from both of them find each other again and, you know, stop what's going, you know, what's going to happen of the, the power of the city being used, you know, falling into the wrong hands. It's it's amazing. Do you mean the scene where they're rescuing Sheeta? Yes. Yeah, when, um, that's... They, they're, they're, they're all in the, ca- they're in the, the floating castle. It's unbelievable, and... that scene. <sighs> Man, I just... I get goosebumps every single time I think about it. It's it's one of the best action movies I think, like, ever. I would put it next to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. You know, what anyone wants to hold up as like a good, like old fashioned adventure movie. Oh man, just ah, uh, is that that that's it's it's hard for me to articulate it into words. Ironically, it's just the fact that just of it so. So very much. It's actually quite a good parallel with the um, the Cagliostro car chase in Ponyo. Thinking about it, the um, the uh, 
when uh, I can't remember what the little boy's called. Sosuke. <laughs> yeah, Sosuke's mm-hmm. mother. Lisa. The, the terrible mother. Yeah, the terrible <laughs> mother. Um, that's yeah, one thing. That's one, good... sorry, that, that, that's one thing that was lost in the dub, I think. And I understand why they did it because it was kind of confusing. But what I really liked was that he didn't call her mum, he called her Lisa. <laughs> and it's like, it wasn't really ever explained that she was his mum. But he called her Lisa. And I just, I just loved that touch. It was like, it was, it she's ever so slightly undermined her authority. <laughs> The fact that he was calling her Lisa and not Mum. Yeah, because yeah. he's cause she's driving him in a little little car. Well, there's like a tsunami happening. <laughs> but she's trying to save him. Yeah, that little bit. Yeah, she's trying to save him, but she she yeah she does kind of go a bit over the top when she could have not kept going. Yeah, <laughs> I I uh, I think. There are certain things that Miyazaki does which no one else can, and I think a good example of that is that scene in Ponyo where it is an action scene which is really about like the emotion, and it's about just like these two characters like noticing seeing each other again, and I'm getting kind of choked up just thinking about it because of how because <laughs> of how like. Oh, how Sosuke just can't believe that this, like, thing that was a blob that he made friends with is now a little girl. And he sees her, and you know that he knows exactly who she is at the, the, the second he sees her, like, r- racing on the waves, which is just devastating this town as she's running mm-hmm. towards him. But I don't know many movies, full stop, which have action scenes, which are so heavily charged with emotion as that scene in Ponyo. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about... It's kind of about them escaping the waves and it's kind of about them racing away. But the music crescendos the moment when Sosuke's like looking out the back of the car window and Ponyo sees him and, and, and she gets, she, she's, she's, um, behind the car and she gets to such an angle where she can just about see his face popping and popping up, um, in the back of the car window. And the music climaxes as she just like has this big fat grin on her face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so lovely. I, I love hearing you talk about, about Ponyo because it's so often people are, are just like, oh, after spirited way. Oh get goodness! Uh, yeah. No, you got it. You got to catch up because they were they were rubbish after that's, that. That's that's yeah. a lot of I like, talking. I liked him before it was cool. He was yeah. never like he, he was he's he's he was never uh, he never stood still. He was always really aware of <clears throat> what people expected him to do. Um, when he was making Prince of Mononoke, he was. He was really adamant that he was gonna try and make it as violent and as adult as possible because he was worried that people were starting to put Ghibli in a box. And yeah. so, and, and he didn't want people to think that they can only make a Totoro or a Kiki's Slivery service. Um, and I feel like that's what he did with his post-spirited away films in a way that people didn't expect. Yeah, so like, they didn't, 
so they didn't know what to think of it when he started doing all this, you know, mm-hmm. different stuff. And it's like, oh, it's not spirited away, so it's not good. Like, that's, again, I say horse hockey. That's, <laughs> that is not, that is not true at all. Horse hockey. I've not heard that before. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's an old, um, I, I got that when, um, I, I watched, uh, this, uh, show that keeps airing on TV called MASH a lot. And one of the, one of the, oh, um, MASH. Yeah. MASH, yeah. One of yeah. the, uh, generals, whenever, like, um, that's one of his, uh, he used to, or I wouldn't say a general, he was one of like, the, the senior officers in the camp. He's, mm. that's one of his phrases. Whenever someone is telling him a lot of crap, and that's what he, that's basically what he's talking about. It's horse hockey. <laughs> but anyways yeah i just because i because even though i do love the earlier films like the pre-spirited away stuff and you know like i might because uh castle in the sky will always be my all-time favorite of the films like it's not to say anything everything that came out of you know the other films after you know post spirit away were bad i mean just they're just not what people expected and that's one of the things mm-hmm. that I think that Miyazaki's, or that, that's what he does best, is giving us the unexpected. There was something really interesting that happened when he was gearing up to make The Wind Rises. There was like a press conference he was at. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was like playing, he was, he was obviously toying around with what his next film should be. Mm-hmm. And it was around the time that they were releasing uh, I want to say probably Arietti, and he was just talking about his next film. Yeah. Because everyone was just asking him, well, what's your next project? What's your next thing? You know? And he was, he was saying, well, you know, maybe it's time to do Porco Rosso, like the last sortie, as he called it. <laughs> and I, and I was, oh yeah, that's really, that's really exciting. That sounds really cool. And then like, I think maybe six months later, he was at another, like press conference for whatever reason. And he was asked the same question again. And he said, he said like he'd been reading James Joyce's Dubliners Mm -hmm. and he was really affected by like, there's a story early on called, I think it's called an encounter. And it's like, it's, it's not a very nice story at all. Um, uh, but there are these boys in it and he was saying like the boys are kind of, he could see that they were not blessed and mm-hmm. um, that he wanted to write a story about, um, he, he wanted to make a story about, about uh, a boy who was not blessed. If I, and if, um, if the wind rises is not that, then I, I don't know what is. Frankly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the thing that stuck with me apart from that comment he made in, in in that conference was he said, my filmmaking is not going to be my hobby. All right. So I could mm-hmm. make Porco Rosso, but that would be my hobby. All right. And I can't do that. And that for me really speaks to the sort of filmmaker he was where yeah. he, um, he could have done what was easy. He could have done what was fun, what people would have easily liked. But he kept pushing himself. And that for me is what I think of really when I think about him is, is that whole kind of filmmaking is not my hobby. I'm not doing this because I can, because he can, 
he 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 got to a point where he could everything he wrote he could have made, and people would have flocked to see it basically. Mm-hmm. And he he always felt like a keen responsibility towards the craft, and I really respect that. Yeah, he's it's it's the sign of a true artist. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think it was that. And then after retiring from movies, he's then going into the shorts and he's now making the first CG thing. So he's still, still pushing. It's, it seems to be in his blood at this. Point. He's he's gonna keep making films until he dies. He's gonna keep at it. At, he's gonna keep at something. And he's doing manga. Yes, as well. he does. He, yeah, he's, I think he's done. That was ca- he was gonna do a samurai manga, but that was cancelled. Oh. I would have loved to see that. If you haven't read uh, the Nausicaa manga... Um, yes, I actually, I have. Bits and pieces of it. I I was going to say, I was going to mention that. I was going to ask if anyone had read mm. it, because um, I've read, like, the first volume in, like, this old, really... There was this big Viz edition. It was, like, um, like really big format. Um, it was quite thin. You didn't get much for it. It was the first volume I They're all like read that, of it. Yeah. And yeah, but, but they then a couple of years ago they did um the perfect hard back, like this box set of mm-hmm. the whole thing in like this big hardback mm-hmm. thing. And I've got that, and I haven't I haven't <laughs> read it yet because I'm I'm just sort of saving it, thinking when when is the time? <laughs> it, <laughs> when it, is the right time? I th- I I think yeah. that. I mean, lots of people think that Nausicaa, the, the manga, is, like, his best work. I've read it once. I kind of steamed through it um, a couple of years ago. Uh, and it really is really impressive. There is, like, a level of depth that you get with his characters, which you haven't before, because, you know, you get to learn about these characters over seven volumes and they develop in amazing ways and and and, and Nausicaa is like a really certainly compared to how, who she is in the film she's a really complex like troubled um character oh yeah and I, I yeah I really recommend like reading the manga because it's unlike any other manga I think in, lo- in lots of ways uh, like the layout of the pages is really dense. He's like, he's pack. He packs a lot in, like which is which is kind of interesting. Like when you when you think about how um, people receive the pacing in his films, they say you know they're quite they're quite slow. Really, they're quite pacey um, in that sense. But like his layout of his pages are just like not typical to manga at all. He's trying to pack in as much story, as much as he possibly can into each page. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can... That's that's very obvious in his films, too, which is why I think it was really cool. And I, I saw the film, and then I read the manga, and just, like, it almost seems like he was trying to pack even more into the manga because there was just so much to this world he created. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a treat to see, because that was one of the things about Nausicaa that I always, like, you know, once I, once the movie finished, I'm like, wait, that's it? I want to find out more! What happens next? Mm. 
plenty happens next. And and there were like the thing that was interesting for me with Nausicaa the the manga was there were themes that like it shares with The Wind Rises actually. And obviously there are wind. <laughs> well, yeah, wind. Um, but also like the ending. This isn't a spoiler or anything, but the the end page of the Nausicaa manga mm-hmm. ends with the same phrase that the wind rises ends with. Get out of town. Oh, actually, it, it's it's not the final words, but it's the final most significant words in the film. The end. <laughs> I don't uh, think so. Chris, that was good. I'll give you that. That was good. Um, it's not the end. No. <laughs> yeah, I need to reread that manga because it's been a it's long a good time. Yarn. It's a good yarn he spins. And also, as much as you can, Miyazaki TV series that he's worked on are also um, worth tracking down. Like uh, mm-hmm. Sherlock Hound, he did. I think he directed six episodes, I think, but they're very Miyazaki. <laughs> the whole series. They're like, yeah. they're like pro... But those particular mm-hmm. episodes, you can you could kind of... When you watch them, you could kind of guess that they're the Miyazaki episodes because they're sort of prototype. <laughs> flying machines and... Flying machines and a feisty female <laughs> character and you're just like, oh, right, this is... These are the Miyazaki episodes, aren't they? Yeah, mm. a lot of Did people you... have... Uh... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's right. I just... You, you, say, you, you mentioned that, Chris, and that's... Uh, you know, I remember way back when, when I was in, uh, in uh, a film course in college and we were talking to them, we had to write a paper on uh, a, our, our choice of a, what we would consider to be an auteur in a uh, film. And then we had to break down, like, okay, what makes them an auteur? Like, what, what makes the... what similar elements do you see in each of their films in you know, in just different ways and you know I I picked Miyazaki and that's like you mentioned the the flying machines the spunky female characters you know pigs, pigs and the you know whole you know nature versus uh civilization stuff and just all those different elements i remember like researching that into very detail like that's one of the reasons I have so many of his films is because I was watching them all looking for those similar <clears> elements and just like yeah those are all very very prominent prominent in his films but in their own unique ways but it's it's still I wouldn't say like it's it's not a cliche it's it's not done to the point where it's completely cliche it's still you still want to watch these movies even though they have similar elements to them mm-hmm. or even if you start noticing those uh, similar elements What's really fun in when you're talking about like similarities is there are actual like shots that he'll repeat like very oh. knowingly. Man, that like, went over my head. At, there, there are so many like angles and little movements and things like that which he'll borrow from himself. <laughs> uh, well, if you're gonna borrow, borrow there you right. go. Yeah, like there is a shot in Ponyo which is exactly the same as a shot in Castle of Cagliostro where there is like. A scene transition, and there is um, there is like a very blurry shot of like close up of bushes, and then the bushes whiz by, and then in the distance you see a small car traveling along, and the same thing, the same shot, like with the same timing, happens in um, uh, Ponyo and Casa Cagliostro. 
Yeah, wow. And there's, there's, there's the, the one of the most interesting ones that I found recently was there in the opening of Conan, The Boy of the Future, which is like a TV series he made in the 70s. Right. There is a moment where there's like an earthquake and the earth is shown splitting in two. And that is also identical in timing and in angles to a shot of an earthquake and the wind rises. Shown uh, and 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 it's like they have completely different significance in the two stories, but it worked fine last time. So you know, if it, if it ain't broke, then why fix it? Yeah. What a hack! <laughs> <laughs> Only joking. He's a he's a genius. No, he's a hack. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But you don't notice it, so that makes it genius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, basically, those two. I think the general consensus is those two. Those two aspects of a person, whether they're genius or a hack, those tend to go together. It's like, was it? What's the word? Uh, insanity and uh, insanity and genius are two sides of the same coin. Oh, do you know something that really winds me up is when people are talking about Miyazaki. They're like, oh, he's. Oh, he's so trippy. He's like, oh, I love what he's on. Uh, uh. Like, no. It's, just, oh, it's so it's so reductive of all the work that goes You're into it. You're so, really, so right, really, Chris. Yeah. It, it really if he was really up, high, like, if he was because... really high, he wouldn't be putting that much detail into a film. I'm sorry. Just because your shitty imagination can't come up with that kind of thing, don't go saying that this that someone else can't. Just without taking some sort of Oh, just, oh, well, what pisses me off like about that even more is it kind of comes back to like a thing that I there was a line that I, I I wrote in my review of Song of the Sea where it's like by using that word whimsy over and over it kind of suggests a degree of care which the filmmaker mm. is exceeding in their thought when they're putting these ideas into the film <clears throat> like. Um, there's like a Simpsons couch gag that they did. They did a really like weird, like very elaborate, um, like homage to Miyazaki films. Yep, we covered it on the, the oh, Quickie right. Mart. Right. House Moving Castle. And Apu says, Oh, help, I'm being, um, attacked by whimsy. <laughs> and it's like, I like it up until that moment because it's really not. You don't get it. Yeah. There is, there is nothing which, there might be many, many films that you do not understand straight away, but he did not put them in for no reason. No. He might have put them in just because they were fun and just because they look kind of cool. Um, but he is really responsible in, in terms of like how those things affect viewers and how like what he is saying like on a deeper level with those certain things. Um, well, that's the general like, difference between. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Like, even, again. like even in, like for me, it's pretty much evidence in the fact that in Ponyo he draws um, the waves have like eyes. The waves are like a monster that like attack Sosuke at the start of the film, and he said that it took him a long, long time to like have the confidence to draw the eyes on the waves because he was worried that it was just going to be 
too whimsical and mm. not really mean anything and kind of throw people off. And all of his staff kept saying, you know, oh, no, it's fine, do it, do it. And th- that kind of shows you, like, the kind of thought that he puts into what people can sometimes misinterpret as just pure whimsy. Yeah, it's it's like you said before, Dan, he doesn't want to be seen as just this, you know, filmmaker who makes just, like, you know, children's movies or just, like, overly fantasy-emphasized and whimsical films. He he wants to be known for more than that. He wants to know that he can... He wants people to know that he can direct, you know, animated films that have a bit more of a serious tone and just everything. They just mm-hmm. He just has... His imagination's just so huge is that people people mistake that for whimsy. They they mistake that care and detail that he puts into every one of his films as just putting stuff in for the sake of whimsy, and it's, that's not true. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of the things, like you mentioned before, it's like he puts every, you know, everything he puts in, he puts it in with, it has a purpose in one way, you know, one way or another. And that's, that's a distinguishing factor, the fact that, you know, and that separates animated films from... I think, in in my perspective from, uh, you know, live-action film is the fact that, you know, obviously, you know, stuff put in a live-action film can, you know, have some kind of significance at times. But, you know, when you're making an animated film, you know, especially a 2D animated film, every, every scene, every shot, every item in that shot has a function mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. And I, I think it, I think it was the Big Hero Six episode where um, I don't always deal with us that way. I don't know. Um, said that she said something that that someone had said something about there being no cigarette butts in animation. Yeah, I think oh, that, that's right. That, yeah. Right back, to, right back to that conversation. Exactly, it's the exact same thing mm. with Miyazaki. There are there are definitely cigarette yeah. butts in the Wind Rises. <laughs> yeah, well, and in cast uh, Cagliostro and Pocahontas. Anything with loop. Anything there, there are a lot of there are a lot of smokers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Zaki for you. <laughs> he thinks it looks cool. Well, is there any other thoughts about Miyazaki and his films that you guys want to talk about, or you know, get out in the open? Yeah. A question. <laughs> if you could live. In any Miyazaki film, <laughs> what would it be? Kiki. Is the there you go. Um, any Miyazaki film? Okay. Uh, probably Kiki or Ponyo. Kiki is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is. It's the correct answer. Well, people will go. Oh, I'd, I'd like to live in Totoro, but it's, you, you know, it's, no, you're it's right. Japan. Unless you're, unless you're like six and you can see the magical beasts. There's like TV and people on. Yeah, and there's no Wi-Fi. And just, I'm yeah. sorry. I thought um, I thought you said you know, there's TB. Because you're talking about there is TB. Yeah. Yeah. There's TB, tuberculosis. That's what the mom's sick with, right? Their mom's got. Sorry, I thought you said. I couldn't tell if you said TV or TB. 
Right, okay. They haven't got a TV, have they? Uh, they no. have a radio, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, Prince Mononoke. Yeah, no, that, that, that no. world's got There's too much pro- too, too many problems mon- in that one. Same. Has Castle, also, there's a um, wall. House, yeah, Norsica, same deal. Um, uh, how the wind rises. World War Two, Japan. No, thank you. Or or pre World War One. Uh, Lupin the Third. Like I guess. Unless unless you want to get robbed by Lupin at some point at some point, yeah. It's Monica. It's they're Monica. Crazy. Crazy count guy, crazy count guy. Yeah, to kill people. Okay. Laputa, um, castle, castle in the sky. Laputa, Laputa. That's kind of scary too. There's the mines will be shut down too. Mate, old, old, old milk snatcher will be along. Yes, yeah, so, basically yeah. Wales, and uh, it's it's basically Wales in the eighties. Plus, there's there's evil Mark Hamill trying to squish people. <laughs> trying, yeah, trying to destroy people with the giant floating city. Yeah. That's a, oh. Whereas, Kiki, Kiki, it's just nice and nothing happens, and th- you just witches. Yeah, the, nice w- the witches are friendly. They just do jobs around the world. It's like, hey, I would love to be in. I'd love to grow up as a witch in that world, and then just have to find the one thing that you know, the one job I can do to help. Once I, it's time for me to go out and go out into the world and find my one true place. You know why that world is so and there's, there's a talking cat and. Because Miyazaki designed it as the world as if World War Two had never happened. Wow! 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 That that just got really heavy. That baker's so dude. like, yeah. I uh, that's probably why it's so pleasant. <laughs> I, I want to go to that bakery. Yeah, I know all the all the bread they, in that bakery look yeah. delicious. The, yeah. So that's what. <laughs> okay. <that's quite> <laughs> gotcha. Understood. All right. Well, I think it might be about that time to wrap up the episode for today, episode twenty-five. And six. Yeah, twenty-five. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's because I forgot to say it in the Don't beginning. Be. I'm saying it now. <laughs> but um, oh gosh, it's always the closing bit that always gets me. That I always keep like fudging up. It's like I always have to plug the the website and. All the various bits that I like. Okay, um, you know, if you want to check out more of our episodes of the podcast, you can. We have a little pod, you know, podcast tab on the website. So if you want to look back, you know, look back at our other episodes, feel free to check that out. As well as our other articles that we get, we have. We'll be working on. We'll be bringing you some more stuff in the near future. And let let us know through whether you know email, Facebook, Twitter. If there's any particular topics you want us to discuss on the podcast, you know, feel free to give us a shout. And you can find me at uh, fail to ninja at Twitter. Um, Chris, where we can we find you? You can find me at Mr. Chris Dor on Twitter, and you can follow the the um, AFA site as well at, at AFA blog. All on right, Twitter. and Dan, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Hamu. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening. And once again, uh, happy birthday, Miyazaki-san. 
And we will see you guys, or see you, <laughs> not vegetables. We will talk to you again on episode 26. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Static's full of memories for me. We spent all our summers by the seaside, and in winter, at home, by the fire. Frost on the window, and snow. Snowballs and making snowmen. One winter, I met a really big snowman. He got the scarf for me. You see, he was a real snowman.